The podcast you are about to hear is an account of two of the most notorious films of all time. The two podcasters you will hear executing this venture could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see, as much of the mad and macabre as they witnessed, researching the Texas Chainsaw Massacres. So welcome to Because Movies, the first episode. I'm Chris. I've got my buddy AJ here with me. Say hello, AJ. Hello. I am here because movies. Awesome. So some people uh, listening to this may have heard our other podcast, Small Screeners, where we talk about direct-to-video and made-for-TV flicks. Uh, and made-for-streaming. And made-for-streaming. But this is going to be a little different. So this is going to be a, a broader umbrella where we can talk about movies in a more general way. And the way we're kind of setting it up is as seasons sort of. So this is going to be our first season. We're doing uh, Halloween stuff for October, obviously. Hell yeah, uh, we so, are. So the idea is to, to look back at the, the slasher remakes of the aughts, basically. So in the early two thousands, starting with the Texas chainsaw massacre, a lot of the, the iconic seventies and eighties, mostly eighties slashers, uh, were reimagined for modern audiences. The first one was Texas Chainsaw. A few years later, they did Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween. And then, and I think 09 and 10 were Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And I believe they're all Platinum Dunes. Not uh, Halloween, things. but the other yeah, except, three are. Yeah. Right, except for Halloween. Michael Bay's whole, we're just going to remake every classic horror movie ever. <laughs> to varying success. Yeah. I mean, there were a <laughs> shitload of remakes in that. Just Kirby's little screaming out every title in Scream 4. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot. Right. <laughs> and so we're going to talk specifically about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was the first one that came along. And Michael Bay, like you said, he started at Plat- Platinum Dunes to do sort of kind of lower budget remakes of uh, classic horror movies and like lower budget as far as studio is concerned. Sure. It, it was kind of like an early uh, Blumhouse type. Yeah. Deal. But I mean, they had, they had a decent amount of resources, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, what I'm saying is in terms of a, a studio movie. Yeah. They weren't independent productions, but they no, weren't no, like no. big budget things like you would expect from somebody like uh, Michael Bay. No, but I mean, I want to say like probably around like 30 million or something. You know? Well, I think uh, I've got the, uh, the budget for first. this one, according to, um, Wikipedia, anyway, nine point five million. Oh, holy so, shit! I, mean, I would have expected budget. more. No, no, no. That's yeah, not a, not a huge budget, but more than you know any, any indie features we're getting. Oh, for sure. But I I genuinely expected it to be more having rewatched the movie. It, yeah, the way it, it looks. It, really looked, good. Yeah. it looks. That's the one thing you can say for the Platinum Dune movies. They all look pretty slick. Hmm. You know, I think. You know, they're. they're clearly trying to be gritty and everything but i mean it's got that sheen of like really good photography it's like you know sleekly gritty (laughs) yeah 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 very um very slick and stylized but also 
kind of grimy, you know, a lot. And then at the same time. Yeah. What did, did uh, pl- what other Platinum Dune movies can you think of besides just the remake stuff? Because I, I know that there are other features. I didn't I didn't look, though. W- I were know they, they just did. doing the remake stuff? Yeah. And they did stuff like The Hitcher, I know. You know, I kind of like that Hitcher remake with Sean Bean. Yeah, I I liked uh, Sophia Bush in it a lot. I thought she was really good. And Bean is fine. It's just he's more robotic than than Howard. You know, yeah. he feels more like a Jason type, like this unstoppable ma- machine, which Howard was too. But Howard brought so much personality to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and Bean is just like this kind of like blank faced. I'm just going to fucking kill everything. Yeah, Um, I I saw The Hitcher as a kid. I think that was one of the movies my brothers let me watch when I shouldn't have been. Because I specifically remember the part with the girl getting, you know, ripped apart or whatever. Hell yeah. And him sticking the finger in the barrel of the gun or whatever. But uh, I haven't haven't seen uh, Rutger Hauer's Hitcher since before I was. 12 probably <laughs> so i don't remember much about it it's hard to there's a dvd you can get i got i have had two of them one in the old school snappa case and then a, a newer one but yeah i mean you can get it it's just not easy to find i think yeah. they're coming out with a blu-ray i want to say it's like that uh, second sight or something anyway it's hard to find but it's i mean the hitcher is a fucking classic if you can right. find a way to watch it watch it um i am looking up the platinum dune stuff and they did that amityville horror remake with ryan reynolds yeah um and then about 2013 there i don't see any more remakes but they've got stuff like all the purge movies mm. the two the two new teenage mutant ninja turtle ones oh well thank god yeah, the two uh, Ouija <laughs> movies, the good one okay. that Mike Flanagan did, and then <laughs> the first one. The two Quiet Place movies and the upcoming uh, A Quiet Place Day One. But yeah, it's pretty much that stuff. Okay. So, I mean, they've, they've done some good work. Those are, yeah. you know, there's movies there I, I own and will yeah, own. The Amityville one, is, I don't remember much about it. It's been a while, but yeah. And I, I still, I don't think I've ever seen the original Amityville it's, I'm, I'm, uh, that's uh, Brolin, right? Yeah, Brolin and Margot Kidder. It's worth watching at least once, for sure. Yeah, I think it may be on Tubi. Or it's, it's on some streaming service, and a while back I was like, oh, I've never seen that. I need to put that on my list. And <laughs> I still haven't gotten around to it. But, Do um, it. But we're here to talk about Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> so uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, released in 1974, October of 74, directed by Toby Hooper, written by Hooper and uh, Kim Hinkle, uh, made for... For a budget of, it looked like approximately 140 grand. Everything I've looked online, it's always like between 80 and 140 grand. There's not like a firm figure that I could find. And the box office take also, I guess, is debated. Uh, it's listed on Wikipedia as 30.9 million box office, but uh, I know Joe Bob Briggs and some other people have talked about how like the distributor at the time was mobbed up. So yeah, there's like hard. a whole thing. About yeah, it was hard that. to get like strong figures like correct figures for the for the box office take so who who knows how much it's really made but uh i guess the official tally is a 30.9 million which seems remarkably low uh runtime 83 minutes so it's pretty swift uh moves pretty quickly although it does take a little while for i guess the the action to really take off unless you got the hitchhiker stuff but uh we'll, we'll go through the plot real quick obviously i'm assuming anybody listening to this has seen these movies already so we're going to be heavy into spoiler territory uh we're going to go through the plot to open things up and then we'll kind of talk about the movie overall how's that sound all right all right so 
plot synopsis. I'll start and I'll hand it off to you as we go and we'll kind of go back and forth, bat it around like a ping pong. After opening on some hideous corpses arranged like a demented art project in a cemetery, we hear some newswire tape of the cemeteries have been vandalized and some graves have been robbed in the area. A van of five youngsters driving through Texas to visit the cemetery where their grandfather, his grave is located. Uh, After leaving the cemetery, they come upon a hitchhiker. They agree to pick him up. This is a big mistake right away. This guy's uh, a real creep. Takes a knife from uh, one of the the kids in the van. He's in a wheelchair. His name's Franklin. So the kids in the van, it's Franklin and Sally. They're a brother and sister. Uh, And then there's the other three are Pam, Jerry, and Kirk. So the hitchhiker is, is acting like a creep, grabs Franklin's knife away from him, slices his own hand open, bleeding everywhere, and uses a razor blade he's got on him to slice Franklin's arm open. Then the kids pull over and kick his ass out. So then what happens, AJ? Uh, well, they're running low on gas, stop at a gas station, but it's out of gas. Tell the owner they're planning to visit some old family property. The owner, uh, the cook, warns them against wandering around people's property, but they move on with their plans to visit the house, come back later for gas. They find the house. Got some gross-ass spiders, dead animals, not much else. It's pretty fucked up and weird. Kirk and Pam try to find an old-fashioned swimming hoe. No such luck on the hoe. But they notice another house nearby, and they approach, hoping to get some gas. Kirk doesn't uh, get an answer at the door, but goes ahead and enters the house anyway, and is promptly brained by a large hammer-wielding man with a mask made of human skin. There must be something for his, uh, his like, face. There's probably a name. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> the beast of a man drags Kirk's corpse into the back room. I have yeah, so, volleyed it back to So uh, Pam enters the house looking for Kirk. While she's trying to flee the house, Pam is confronted by old Leatherface, the big Ooh, giant guy who murdered her boyfriend. And she's dragged, kicking and screaming back inside. She's then impaled on a hanging meat hook. Uh, writhing in agony, she is forced to watch as Leatherface goes to work on Kirk's face with a chainsaw. Jerry shortly stumbles upon this house as well, searching for his while he's looking for his friends. Uh, he finds Pam inside the freezer, but Leatherface bashes him in the head as well before he can do anything but react. Uh, Leatherface has a seat by the window and relaxes. Back to AJ. Sally and Franklin, still waiting in the van as night falls, soon realize they have to venture out to search for their friends. Pam is pushing Franklin's wheelchair through the woods. And who do they bump into but old Leatherface, who quickly carves Franklin's face up. This gives Franklin the honor of being the first Leatherface victim taken the fuck out by an actual chainsaw. Sally flees, screaming. A lengthy, frenetic chase ensues. With Leatherface hot on her heels, Sally finally makes it to the gas station once again with the cook he takes her in. Leatherface disappears. The cook offers to give her a ride to safety, but it's obvious he's got a screw or two loose. Eventually, he subdues her, sticks her in a burlap sack. He throws her in his truck, takes perverse pleasure in jabbing her with a broom handle as he drives her back to the house. Surprise! The hook is part of an effed up family with a hitchhiker and Leatherface. Leatherface has been preparing dinner and Sally is tied to a chair at the table to join them. As the hitchhiker brings the family grandpa downstairs, he slices Sally's finger open so Gramps can suckle the blood from it. And it's gnarly gross, guys. (laughs) Back to you, Chris. Take her home, bud. Uh, Eventually, they bring out a big bucket and hold Sally's head over it. They're trying to let Grandpa bash her in the head with a hammer to finish her off. The old geezer can't quite manage it. He keeps dropping the hammer. The hitchhiker tries to help him out. He kind of lets loose of Sally, and she's able to escape. By this time, it's daylight again. Sally makes it to the road with the hitchhiker and Leatherface chasing her down. 
a semi truck uh, is coming by and accidentally runs the hitchhiker over, smashes him proper. The trucker stops, tries to assist Sally, but then here comes Leatherface. Uh, the trucker freaks out, ends up grabbing a, a giant wrench out of his truck and, and clocks Leatherface with it, knocks Leatherface down, and he drops his chainsaw on his leg, giving him a big gash in his leg. A pickup truck drives by around this time, and Sally hops in the bed, narrowly escaping as Leatherface dances wildly in the morning sun. And that is pretty much all there is to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let me start with this, AJ. When was the first time you actually watched the original Texas Chainsaw? It was actually pretty later in my life. I mean, I wasn't like a grown-ass man or anything. For whatever reason, when I was a kid, it wasn't one that ended up getting rented in my little circle of friends. First, when I was probably like between 10 and 12. And then when I was in junior high and high school, it just, it wasn't one of those that got watched a lot. Like, you know, the other ones, all, all the Friday, the 13th, all the, uh, the, uh, the nightmare on Elm streets, those got pretty regular play, but I didn't see Texas chainsaw, the original all the way through. I think I must've been like 19 or so. Mm-hmm. Like beginning to end. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. I was actually, it was very intense and it it, it was a lot in terms of uh, the feeling of it being intense. But I was also kind of like surprised that it wasn't as gory, you know, which everyone will say, yeah. you know, it's not as gory as you think it is. And I had expected it to be. I think I saw Texas Chainsaw 2 all the way through before I saw the original. And that one has all the gore that the original does not. So I think I kind of expected some of that. And, it, and when it wasn't there, I was kind of like, oh, that was like fucking intense. But, you know, I kind of wish there'd been a little more gore because I was young and stupid. And, you know, when I would, as I got older, I would keep rewatching it. And somewhere in my mid to late 20s, maybe I was almost 30, I watched it and it really fucked me up Mm -hmm. uh, just in terms of the whole experience and sensation. Because I've always, you know, said, I'm sure I'm not alone. I, I, I probably did not come up with this as an original idea, but it's just what I feel when I watch his movies. And this is where it all started. The thing about Toby Hooper that he does better than any other horror director, I think, is give you the sensation of everything's out of control and it's like a nightmare. It's like you have no control over what's going on. It's completely chaotic. It's all very, very crazy and intense and Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do. And you feel like you're in the hands of an absolute fucking certifiable madman. You know, there's a, I always kind of saw horror and this is very, this is not fair, but if you want to be simplistic, there's, you know, the, the slow burn kind of horror and the intense in your face kind of horror. And Toby Hooper movies, by and large, didn't really have much of a interest in being that cold finger on the back of your neck that gives you shivers and makes you turn around and there's no one there. No, Toby Hooper movies come right at you, <laughs> grab you by the shoulders and just grah, scream in your face like as loud as they can. And it's just... <gasps> This huge sensation of just, oh, my fucking God. And that viewing of it hit me that way. I was like, holy shit, how did I not see this before? How did I not feel this way before? And since then, you know, I it's it's obviously one of the best horror movies ever made. It's got to be top five, probably. I, I think the best horror movie ever made is The Thing, but I mean, I'm a John Carpenter bitch, so I'm always going to say <laughs> that. Uh, but anytime anyone's like, oh, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I am I totally get that. 
You know, I, yeah. w- I would never argue with anyone who said that. I would argue with someone who said The Shining. <laughs> I would be like, you're not wrong for you, obviously, but I still think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that that was my experience. I, I came to it late, didn't appreciate it when I first had it. But thank God I finally did because it, it's, it is. It's a nightmare of a movie. It's a bad dream. And I it, it still disturbs when you watch it. It's still unsettling. It's just powerful, powerful elemental horror filmmaking. It's it's fantastic. Right. Yeah, I, I'm kind of right there with you as far as coming to it late. You know, I, I think the first time I saw it was actually after the remake came out, ah. uh, which they did a big re-release or maybe the first time it was on DVD, you know, was around the time the remake came out. They put out a big special edition and my brother picked it up and I was like, you know, I want to watch this, but I kind of want to watch the new one first because I don't like what if it's like exactly the same. I don't want to like I want to be surprised by the new one rather than watch the old one. So I think I watched the the, the original maybe a few weeks after the remake came out. I And they, they're, they're pretty different. Uh, oh, yeah. Despite having a lot of the same bones. But, you know, you talked about how this wasn't one that was getting seen a lot the way like the nightmare movies and the Friday the 13th movies were in the, in like the eighties and early nineties. And a lot of that might be because I think they couldn't show it on TV for most of that. <sighs> yeah. It was, you know, it was, it was one of the video nasties. I'm pretty sure, you know, in Vernon's mm-hmm. time, you know, you could rent it in the U S on video or whatever, but I don't think it was ever on uh, TV. I know when Joe Bob Briggs, who I'll probably mention a lot because this is like his favorite movie. He's talked a lot mm-hmm. about it and written a lot about it. Uh, he, when he hosted it on shutter a few years ago, it was the first time he'd ever hosted it, even though he'd had, you know, two other shows where he hosted horror movies because when he was at the movie channel, they wouldn't let him show it. And when he was at Turner, um, in the late nineties, yeah, they wouldn't let him there's show no it. fucking yeah. way. <laughs> right. Yeah. I right. mean, and that's, that's the thing too. It's kind of like the gore thing. It's not gory, but it definitely is rated R and it's not even without a lot of graphic gore. You just can't, yeah. you just can't show that to every old fucking person. <laughs> you just can't, they would, yeah. you know, they would sue you. <laughs> and I, I, I'll bet when I first, it's hard to remember for certain, but I'll bet when I first watched it, I was kind of surprised at the lack of gore because there's there some blood here and there, but it's not extreme. And, you know, my instinct is to say, well, this is the se- early 70s. You know, there there wasn't a lot of like gore and stuff in horror movies, really. But then I'm thinking like, well, I think Herschel Gordon Lewis was probably around by this time. So there was in some in, in some movies, I guess. So uh, that's not really a good argument. But, yeah, there, there's some blood like when when uh, Kirk gets beamed as the first kill. And then there are a few other spots here and there. But for the most part, not a whole lot uh, of gore and stuff. No. And something like Baba's A Bay of Blood is super gory for the time, especially that was 71. So, I mean, it was out there. Yeah. And maybe, you know, because of the resources they had, maybe Hooper was like, you know, we're not going to spend a shitload of money on all these, you know, practical effects. Mm-hmm. I think the goriest moment is probably when Leatherface gets himself, right? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Also, um, you know, I listened to the commentary well uh, in preparation for this, and uh, Hooper was trying to get a PG rating, I think. Which you know, is just, there was no PG thirteen at the time, yeah, but that's just uh, fucking crazy <laughs> to make right. that movie and be like, oh yeah, PG for sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think if I, it, you talked about how the first time you watched it, maybe you didn't appreciate it as much as you did later, and I'm the same way. And I've only seen it a handful of times. I think this was maybe the fourth or fifth time I'd seen it when I watched it, you know, to get ready for this, and I noticed really how I wish I could watch this in a theater. I've never seen it in a theater. 
think it would be a totally different experience when you can't, you know, spend a few minutes looking at your phone during the slow parts or whatever, or you, you can't get distracted by your dog wanting to go outside, whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've never experienced that way. I've always watched it on, you know, DVD or, or, or on streaming in my house. So it would probably be a lot different uh, of an experience, you know, in a dark theater, maybe with just a few people in there with you. And it's just all the creepiness and all the frenetic stuff that's going on. But, um, mm-hmm. with a real good sound system. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. That's the sound is something we need to talk about at some point too, because there's really not a, a, a score for this, this flick, but, uh, no, but all the streams are some shit. right but let's let's talk a little bit about toby hooper um this is kind of his masterpiece even though it was i think his second feature film he had done industrial films and stuff i think like kind of like romero uh did before he did night of the living dead i think that's kind of the where hooper came from too but uh i don't think i've seen a ton of hooper's movies to be honest i've seen uh, chainsaw obviously i've seen the fun house life force poltergeist can't think of many others off the top of my head, but um, are you a, a fan the, of Hooper in general? Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm not a, you know, and and this is just, you know, a qualification. I'm not a super fan in that, you know, he's not my favorite horror director, but I do really love and admire what he did and what he was able to pull off and how he went about it. Like I said, it, his stuff very much feels like a nightmare to me. And once it really kicks in, um, not just uh, Texas Chainsaw, but something like the fun house, the whole last part of that movie is just, ah, you know, and there are moments in poltergeist that I think completely put the argument to rest that Spielberg is the ultimate director of that movie. You know, I don't know. I wasn't there. Maybe he did some work with the actors and directed some of those mm-hmm. scenes. I have no idea, but I know the more hardcore shit that's Toby Hooper, man. That's, yeah. it could not be anyone else. Um, I really like his invaders of Mars remake. His three Canon movies are of course, th- those were ones I watched on video. Not when I was a kid so much, but when I was in my twenties, watched a lot of Life Force, watched a lot of Texas Chainsaw Two, and enjoyed Invaders of Mars. <laughs> uh, I, I do like I do like the Mangler. It's a mess. It's a yeah. total mess. But Robert England is having fun. I will always, you know, give give my attention and time to a movie that lets Robert England have fun because we need more of those in this world. Yeah. Yeah. The Mangler's is, cool. Is Mangler an HBO movie or no? No, that actually okay. went to theaters. Okay. I don't know. I remember if it being on HBO, and that's my only memory of it, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I rented that as soon as it came out. Um, it didn't hit theaters near me. Maybe I no, actually, I think it was a fairly decently wide release. Not you know five thousand theaters or anything, but you know probably at least a good thousand, five hundred to a thousand. That was cool. I really like his remake of the Toolbox Murders from Jesus, the late two thousands. I want to say, and I don't think I saw anything else of his after that. I know he made a movie called uh, Dijin. Um, or Jin, however you say it, like the genie from Wishmaster. Right. Uh, and I don't think that's supposed to be very great. Even the number one Toby Hooper fan that I and you probably know, Patrick Bromley from F right. Move, I don't think he was even able to party with Jin. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think that's supposed to be very great. Yeah. But those ones I mentioned, I know I've seen Eaten Alive, the one he made between Texas Chainsaw and The Fun House. Mm-hmm. But... All I remember of it is that it's pretty fucking nuts. I, I don't remember much else, but that's about my whole uh, experience with Mr. Toby. I, I am a fan. I think he rocks, and he made 
he made some great ones. He made some shitty ones, but you know, most <laughs> most directors have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have again. I don't have a whole lot of history with with his flicks. I I haven't seen. I've seen the Invaders from Mars movie as well, but I think that's that and the ones I mentioned earlier are all I've seen. And while I don't have a great sense of his body of work, really, I, everything I hear about him, like he was apparently a great guy. He was, you know, a hippie, you know, from the 60s and 70s. And I never heard any bad things about Toby Hooper. Everybody seemed to really like him. And the the, the controversy with Poltergeist, I don't really don't have a dog in that fight because I don't, like you said, I wasn't there. I don't know. And everybody, you know, on either side of the aisle seemed to pre- be pretty dug in on that and um, <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate because end of the day his, his name is on it so he as far as i'm concerned he's the director and you know people i've heard people say well look at all these aspects of poltergeist that was clearly a spielberg movie and it's like well spielberg was the fucking producer so and obviously the there's going to be his fingerprints are going to be on it that yeah. shouldn't be a surprise so yeah but, I mean, uh, and you could say that about something like Back to the Future or whatever. That's got yeah. his fingerprints on it, but that's yeah. a fucking Robert Zemeckis movie. Exactly. And that's very much a Joe Dante movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, as far as you said, you know, people are on one side or the other. I, Toby Hooper fucking directed Poltergeist. Okay. <laughs> you know, like in all the ways that really matter, that make that movie what it is, that's Toby Hooper more than it is Steven Spielberg, even though it is very much a Spielberg production. That whole, you know, the suburbs and everything that he did so well, the whole family unit being confronted with something otherworldly. And in this case, it's very horrific, not, you know, sci-fi like E.T. or whatever. It's, it's Toby Hooper, man. It's Toby Hooper. I will fight you on it if you're listening and you want to fight <laughs> Toby Hooper, man. Well, I'm not going to fight you. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I met um, people out there and, you know, I'm not trying to you. fight all our listeners. <laughs> that That's not a way to, like, you know, drum up, you know, a podcast. But I will fight you over, <laughs> over, over Poltergeist. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the cast, the flick. I'll go through the, the cast really quick here. I've got pulled up. Uh, Marilyn Burns as Sally Hardesty, who is kind of the original Scream Queen, I guess. The uh, yeah. or the original final girl, anyway. And she's really good. Uh, Alan Danziger, Jerry, Paul Partain as Franklin Hardesty, uh, Sally's brother in the in the wheelchair. William Bale as Kirk. Uh, Terry McMinn as Pam. I'm, I may be getting some of these pronunciations wrong, so just um, <laughs> Jim Sidow as uh, the old man or the cook. Gunnar Hansen, of course, as Leatherface, and John Dugan as the grandfather. Those are the, the main characters. Uh, also, John Larroquette, famously, I guess, was the narrator at the very beginning, and he reprised that for the remake in 2003. And Larroquette, easily the biggest name in this movie. <laughs> uh, he was just a, a struggling young actor at the time uh, when this when this happened. So yeah, Marilyn Burns definitely steals the show and is it, it's, it's basically the main character. Franklin is like legitimately really annoying. <laughs> and Most uh, people hate Franklin. Yeah, and I think it's earned. <laughs> but on on the commentary track, they talked a lot about how the the uh, actor Paul uh, Partain was kind of like that on set, and everybody kind of hated <laughs> kind of hated him while they were making it as well. Whether it was him being like method or whatever, he was just constantly getting under people's skin. I guess that probably helped the movie. <laughs> but um, there's not a whole lot really to say. I don't think about Jerry or Kirk. They're kind of just the guys that are there in, in the group. But yeah, Burns and and uh, Partain definitely left a mark. Oh, for sure. I mean, I and I feel bad because these people did put in work. 
Yeah. You know, no one's like particularly half assing it. It's just some of them are, you know, I don't want to say they're non actors, but I mean, some of them might be. Uh, I'd never done anything like that in their lives, but they're, you know, regional actors, you know, yeah. and so they're, they're doing, they're doing what they can with what they've got. It's fine. It's just, it feels like I can kind of sum everything up with any one of them pretty quickly. It's like Sally is kind of just there, likable enough until the last act of the movie where she just loses it, you know, and she's just, completely in a panic the whole time just screaming and screeching and fucking terrified and and she does that impressively and i feel almost bad for her watching it because i figured that must have just been so hard and i know it was not fun making Mm -hmm. the movie they went through a lot it was a lot of hard work it was hot you know texas summer real actual meat and shit things rotting <laughs> and the smell of the you know all that shit running and it through was just, dry woods exactly like they put her through the ringer so i mean i i give it up for her i mean she went her character went through it in the movie and i feel like marilyn burns really went through some things too and you feel it watching it so that like you said mvp all the way partain he i feel bad like not being upset that a character in a wheelchair got chopped up with a chainsaw, but I don't fuck him. You know, he kind of sucked. And I know that was part of the thing. And that was a very bold move. I think by them is to have a character in a wheelchair that that in itself automatically gives you sympathy for him. And they make him consciously unlikable. That's a, that's cool. And I know that's been mentioned before. I'm not the first person to say that, but it, but it is, it is something to note because it's just a bold, a bold choice. Sorry, uh, Jason. Other face did it first. Yeah, exactly. Gunnar Hansen, just a whole presence as Leatherface, still the best. Whatever the fuck his name is, Brynjarski or whatever in the new one, he's very imposing. Mm-hmm. But Gunnar, just there, there's just something about him, this big, hulking, childlike. It's just there's just a sense of danger, you know. He's great, yeah. obviously, just iconic. You can't praise him enough. Grandpa, I, I can do without it. Fuck Grandpa, I don't need him around. <laughs> That that old fucking sucking on no 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 thank you and you know the bitch can't even fucking hit someone with a with a hammer right I mean it's just you know fuck Uh, the hitchhiker he's just a creepy bitch oh yeah I didn't mention uh, Edwin Neal yeah Edwin Neal yeah he's just creepy good job there you know I that's the kind of thing where you get the sense that. And and he may have just been a lovely guy. I really don't know. And I, I know I read about the making of the movie. I read Joe Bob's great piece about it that he wrote as John Bloom. But I do not remember if he was just the sweetest guy off camera. But he feels like he's not acting. Yeah. It's so effective. It feels like this is just a dude being that fucking creepy, weird as shit dude. So I give him credit. Everybody else in the movie... Oh, the cook is fun. He's yeah, fucking weird. Yeah, he was on Hee Haw. Is that right? I think so. I want to yeah. say yeah. I know he was in. Um, I know he's in. He's one of. The, I think he's the only one in the sequel in Texas Chainsaw Two. Mm. But yeah, he's he's doing a whole thing that I think yeah. works really well. Yeah. You know, he's kind of playing it being the dumb redneck, but that's what the character is doing. He's playing at it. That's not real. He's a lot more shrewd and sneaky than that. Yeah. And that Uh, moments when he's 
when the the cook is driving Sally, she's in the bag, and he's like poking her with that stick. <laughs> Uh, he, he's taking so much pleasure in it, but he's also at the same time talking to her like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And then he'll just jab her with that stick, trying to get a, a rise out of her. And it's just yeah. so fucking weird. <laughs> uh, it, it is. But again, that's, that's what I mean when I say it feels like a nightmare and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily follow what we think of as rational logic mm-hmm. because it's such a, you know, a dichotomy of him trying to calm her down, but he's really not trying to calm her down. This is all part of him fucking with her. This is all his sadism and all that, but it feels so off. You know, that that's that's another beautiful thing about it. It keeps you off balance. You never really get your footing in the last third of the movie, I don't think. At least I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it it just it pokes at you like he's poking at you in the bag. You know, the movie is doing that to you. <laughs> right. Well, that's all I've really got on on the cast, you want to move on to just like our thoughts about the movie in general. Let's do it. You know, I've already kind of mentioned how unbearable Franklin is. Mm. You know, this is a pretty simple story in general, but like there's a lot of stuff going on in those early minutes. Like there's the images of the corpses set up as a display. And then there's the, the news reading going off and really quickly they're at the grave site and then they're back in the van and there's hitchhiker. All that's within like the first like seven minutes of the movie, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of really frenetic right, right from the very beginning for the most part. Yeah. The frenetic pace is kind of the thing that makes the movie so unsettling because especially towards the end when like that chase sequence with Leatherface and Sally it just goes on forever. And the, there's no, like we mentioned earlier, there's no soundtrack really. It's just her screams and the sound of that chainsaw mm-hmm. tearing through, you know, the woods and, and he's like right on her heels. So that, that's kind of what I think of when I think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just not necessarily horrifying stuff, just like really nerve rattling. The tone is really nerve rattling. I think, you know, and I didn't really consider it this way until I was talking about how the movie keeping you unsettled or fucking with you is like, is like cook poking you with a a broom handle in the back. But as limited as the resources were as many, no big names as they're dealing with, there's something that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is able to do that movies with a score of professional award-winning actors and all the resources in the world cannot pull off in terms of just how primally effective it is. And that, that chase scene is part of it. The, the very famous dinner scene at the end, the, the, the dinner table scene. She's sitting at that table and she's being terrified by these people. And when you're watching it, you are being terrified by these people. The scene where she's being chased by Leatherface, it feels like the movie is chasing you. Mm-hmm. The movie itself is fucking chasing you. You're right there. You feel like you are experiencing it. I mean, yeah, you're safe at home and everything. But we kind of, when something is so magnetic or it draws you in in the way where you just kind of forget and your body is doing involuntary things like gripping your armrest or whatever you know digging your nails into your the palm of your hands kind of thing this movie is really good at making you involuntarily react the way that you're it's a fight or flight thing your body goes back to that (laughs) and I've seen a million chase scenes in a million movies, and there's only a handful that made me feel like the movie was fucking chasing me during a chase scene. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre does that. It's just so, if for nothing else, Toby Hooper is a master of horror filmmaking for that alone. Mm. So, yeah, I, it's just, 
it is one of the most disturbing things I ever saw. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if I had to experience a little bit more of life for it to really disturb me the way it did. It, not to say that I'm sure there's millions of people who saw it as kids and it just fucked them up and they were never okay again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they've had nightmares until they were 80. But it just, yeah, it's, it's, it is a masterpiece. And I... I implore everyone who enjoys horror to watch it. If you, if you don't want to watch it or or have been hesitant because oh it's old, no, no, <laughs> just just let it do what it does to you. Yeah. And hopefully it will. Hopefully you won't have to wait ten years for you to mature a little bit for <laughs> it to affect. Yeah, and put your phone you. down while you're watching it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, so this is. It's hard to tell like how all these kids in the in the movie are like, but it seems like they're supposed to be like college age. I really maybe hope they're, they're supposed to be college age because. Yeah, they ain't high scores. <laughs> right. I don't buy that they're high scores. Yeah. So is Texas Chainsaw Massacre got the most iconic butt shot in movie history? It has to. I can't think of a bigger one. Maybe Van no. Damme has got something <laughs> that he can throw in. But If you're talking about when, like, the male stars would, uh, you know, beefcake up with a butt shot and the ladies would be like, Ew, Patrick Swayze <laughs> shoot his ass in Roadhouse. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, I'm I'm offensive and you don't want to talk to me. But yeah, it, it's it is iconic, and you know they knew what they were doing, you know. And right. fuck, why not? Why not do it? <laughs> yeah, you know, help sell your flick. Look at asses and seats. Thankfully, they were able screen. to replicate that in this, the remake. So this may be the first movie. This is the first movie I ever saw. I should say the first movie, but the earliest movie I've seen that has the the body nerve leg twitch. You know, oh, when he gets clocked yeah. with the hammer and then his legs start to just kick uh, wildly. I don't know if that's the first time that that happened, but it, it I have a feeling that was probably pretty unique in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know either. I can't I can't speak with authority on it, but I'm sure that when that happened, it's so visceral. You know, yeah. it um, always creeps me out when I see that because some other movies have, got, have done that trick as well. And it's always really creepy. Yeah. On a side but related note, I, something that always gets me, which is why I think they do it, is when someone gets injured, shot, or hit in the head, and only one of their eyes rolls back up in their head. Oh, yeah. That fucks me up. It, it's that same kind of um, reflex, you know, because our bodies are, they do weird shit, and it's unsettling, you, especially stuff you don't see in your everyday. You don't see yeah. people's leg twitching like that. So when it does, you go, ah, ooh, <laughs> ooh. It's just a very visceral instinctive reaction yeah when i was a little kid me and my buddy there was like a giant spider on a rock that we kind of like came up on and one of us i think me maybe it was him stepped on it and like three or four of its legs on one side the side that wasn't smashed completely were just kicking wildly and i was so (laughs) weirded out by it i was like nine or ten years old probably little chris like i'm out fuck that noise Uh, uh, you know, we already mentioned Franklin gets gets it with a chainsaw. He's the only, you know, despite it being called Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he's the only one that gets killed with a chainsaw yeah. uh, in this flick. There's something really disturbing, though, about, you know, when Pam that's on the hook. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. When, when she's on the hook and she has to just kind of sit there in pain and watch her boyfriend get carved up with a, a chainsaw. Because, you know, Leatherface just goes right to work with him with her, like, hanging there. And that's, oh, yeah. that's always... Like- Dressing him like a deer, but with his yeah. own personal tool, which is a chainsaw. <laughs> there's there's a worse version of that, I think, 
maybe not worse, but a more psychologically disturbing version of that in in the remake, which we'll get to later. But, um, you know, I mentioned already the chase through the woods. It's just, you know, he's right on her ass the whole time. <laughs> and all you hear is the chainsaw and the screams and stuff. It's just really just frays the nerves. Yeah. Like I said, it feels like something in a, in a nightmare where, like, most people, I think, have experienced this. You ever had a nightmare and you try to close your eyes to something horrible in the dream and you can't? <laughs> that feels kind of like that. Mm. Like, even if you were able to close your eyes, the sound of that chainsaw and the screams would just grow louder and louder and louder. And it's just, <laughs> it's fucked up, man. Yeah. The movie is just too much. <laughs> I love the, it. I love it. An extension of that chase is is kind of the dinner scene where... I mean, she by this point, she's completely lost it, and she's just constantly in a state of writhing in the chair that she's tied to and screaming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the hitchhiker's there slobbering and making faces at her. And every uh, once in a while, they give her a rap on the head, and that's, oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I also like how the, the the cook, you mentioned earlier, he's kind of the the most complex of, like, at least of the villains in the movie. Like, in, well, in the scene... Yeah, I mean, everyone else is kind of one note. And I don't mean that they don't play that note well, yeah. but he has actual, you know, he's not one thing the whole time. Yeah, when when they've got her, Sally's head over the bucket and they're trying to get Grandpa to smash her, you know, in the background, the cook is like, he's going in and out of the kitchen and like kind of looking over the shoulder to see what's going on. And then he'll kind of cower back. into the Like he doesn't want to see it happen. Maybe he just wants to see her dead afterwards. Like I, there's no real explanation for what he's doing, but it's just such an oddball performance from that guy. Yeah. You know, and he does more of the same uh, kind of bigger in part two. Mm-hmm. Is he playing um, the same character? Yeah, yeah. He's the only. I mean, Grandpa is in part two too. I mean, you know, Chains, uh, Leatherface is in there. Grandpa's in there. He's in there, but he's the only actor who carries over, and he goes a little bigger. And again, he's the one that goes out into the world and sells their their wares. You know, their special chili. Oh it. yeah. So he's actually gotta be normal enough <laughs> to, to interact deal with the with, public. Yeah. You know, and the same thing in this, you know, he operates the gas station, you know, he deals with people and he's got to seem normal enough that they don't immediately call the cops on him and be like, hey, there's this weird fucker operating this gas station out of nowhere. I think he's (laughs) doing some weird shit, got bodies in his basement, probably. And it's like, you have no idea. But yeah, I just I think you're 100 percent right. He's the most complex character in that he he seems scared. He also seems like he's not. Like, you wonder how much of it is not like he's the mastermind, but maybe, you know, he really is the brains of the operation uh, now that grandpa is in the state grandpa's in. And he's kind of taken over the head of the family duties. You know, at least that's how it feels. Yeah. Whereas Hitchhiker is just a gibbering fucking psycho. <laughs> Leatherface is Leatherface. <laughs> there's some speculation, I guess, about like, because I assumed he was the dad. And yeah. Leatherface and the Hitchhiker were his kids, but on the commentary with Hooper and and the others, I think it was Hooper, Hinkle, and and Gunnar Nelson were on there. He said that it was, although he never specifically said it or or made it clear that the uh, intention was that they were all three brothers. So he's like their old brother, I guess. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I had assumed he was their dad. I got a few other notes that are kind of just from the commentary that I thought were interesting. Uh, Leatherface uses three different masks, which... I could only really tell when he has the makeup on for the last mask he wears. And Gunnar Nelson kind of talked about how, like, those are supposed to kind of differentiate his personalities. So, like, at the end when he's wearing the makeup, he's supposed to be, like, the mother 
he's making dinner for the family hmm. and he's a little more timid. And I just thought that was interesting because there's not a whole lot of attention brought to it, but that was sort of the, the intention they were going for. And it was also kind of strange how Nelson, uh, Gunnar Nelson talked. Is it Nelson? No, Gunnar Hansen. <laughs> But yeah, he, he was talking about in the dinner scene when Sally's going crazy, how like nobody was really acting. They were all kind of losing themselves at the end. And to the point where he was almost like in his head, he was thinking like, we're about to kill this girl. <laughs> and like, oh, that's going a little too far there, Gunner. I don't, I don't know about admit this on a uh, commentary. I guess it was 30 years later. So who cared? But, uh, but yeah, no, that apparently, I made this like, movie and I was sitting there thinking, let's kill this chick. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's do it. But that's how that's how intense the shooting uh, was, I guess. And he also mentioned how by the end of the shoot, uh, because he wasn't able to clean his costume and it was just baking in the sun the whole time uh, they were shooting, that he just he smelled so bad nobody would eat anywhere near him. <laughs> oh, I've heard that. Yeah. But that's pretty much all I've got, I guess. I did wonder what happened to that trucker at the end because he just kind of runs off and leaves his uh, his truck. Oh yeah, he he went and. Talk to the authorities. I guess. Well, show. <laughs> but yeah, the only other thing I did want to mention is props to summer school for uh, <laughs> uh, Chainsaw and Dave, who are huge fans of this movie. It's their favorite movie. They show it in class. That's a cool movie as well. Summer school. And they show it to the uh, foreign exchange students <laughs> for life <laughs> because it's the greatest motion picture ever made. Yeah, there you go. Huh? Uh, but yeah, that's all I got for for the first Texas Chainsaw. You got any other final thoughts before we move on to the remake? No, I think I babbled enough of my babble other than just, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a landmark, you know? I mean, I'm I'm really glad that I was able to, to finally get there because the movie deserves that. It deserves respect and admiration. It deserves your terror because it, it earns it, I think. It there's something about it. It's one of those that is just, it can't be replicated. Everything had to work the way it did for the end result to be what it is. And had one thing been different, it it probably would not have been what it is. So I just, yeah, can't say enough good things about it. If you don't, if it doesn't do it for you, I can understand because I used to be there. But <laughs> I hope that people would give it enough of a chance to, to, to try to just let it do what it does to you. And it'll fuck you up. It'll fuck you up, folks. Agreed. All right. Well, let's move on to Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003. Um, okay. It's a movie that exists. That's it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. All right. So Texas Chainsaw Massacre released in 2003, October of 2003, directed by Marcus Nispel, written by Scott Kosar or Kosar. This one was budgeted again at $9.5 million, uh, raked in $107.4 million at the box office. So I guess that's why we got a Halloween remake and a Friday the 13th remake and et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, for sure. The plot synopsis uh, we'll go through, like with the first one I mentioned earlier, John Larroquette did the opening monologue for the first one. They brought him back for this one. It's a little longer in this one as he kind of sets the stage for for the flick. And there's a lot of like um, faux police footage from uh, 70s era stuff uh, mm-hmm. of them like investigating the crime, uh, crime scene. But um, as far as the actual uh, plot of the meat of the film... A group of five friends, Aaron, Kemper, Morgan, Andy, and Pepper, are driving through Texas after a trip to Mexico on their way to a Skinner concert. Morgan inadvertently lets it slip that the main reason they went to Mexico was to buy two pounds of weed. This strains things between a couple in the group, Aaron and Kemper. 
Suddenly, they very nearly run down a disheveled young girl on the road. They pick her up, and she is uh, clearly in a bad way, dehydrated, looks really rough. After some rambling about, you know, don't take me back there, she tries to grab the wheel. Uh, They push her back into her seat. She pulls a gun out from between her legs. Don't want to speculate too much on where that came from. And proceeds to put it in her mouth and pulls the trigger. Everybody piles out of the van, super shook. They want to call the cops, but they got the weed. So Morgan and Andy are trying to convince them, like, hey, we we can't just ditch this weed. But Kemper, you know, takes the initiative, takes it out into a field and throws it. They come up to this skeezy shop ran by some old bat who clearly doesn't give shit one about the situation they're in. (laughs) She does call the sheriff for him, or she tells the kids that the sheriff wants them to drive to this local mill to meet him. And what happens then, AJ? Uh, Well, they get to the mill, no sign of law enforcement there. They end up having a testy discussion about whether or not they should just dump the hitchhiker's body for the sheriff whenever the hell he does show up. And while there, they come across a weird little kid who eventually runs off to wait for when he's needed later. Uh, Aaron and Kemper take a walk, come upon a freaky-looking giant house out there in the middle of uh, nowhere. An old man with no legs is living there. We get another wheelchair-bound guy in a different kind of... uh, a different aspect than in the original, but there's another guy in a wheelchair. This old guy agrees to let Aaron use the phone, but he makes Kemper wait outside because he's an asshole. Meanwhile, the sheriff finally shows up at the mill. They're the key. Uh, three kids are still waiting. He gives off major creep vibes. Very fuck the police coming from him. <laughs> makes Andy help him saran wrap the dead girl's head, cracking inappropriate jokes the whole time, uh, copping a little bit of a feel because he's a fucking pervert. A little bit into the whole... Uh, necrophilia thing apparently mm-hmm. they pack the body in the trunk of the cop car back at the house what happens next back at the house uh, the old man has conned aaron into helping him off off the bathroom floor where he's apparently falling out of his wheelchair he's also copping a feel you know while aaron's trying to help him into his chair kemper has also entered the house wondering what the damn holdup is and is subsequently murdered by Leatherface and is dragged into uh, his little workshop. So he gets right to work on the body as Aaron takes off back to the van, thinking Kemper may have left her there. She, she's not sure where he's at, but doesn't think he's still in the house. Once she gets back and the others, once she gets back and the others tell her, hey, the sheriff's already been here, they start to realize that things have gone from bad to worse. They start looking around for Kemper. They end up finding some photos of the girl that killed herself earlier. And it's not just her. It's her with, like, another family. There's a baby in the pictures. So something really weird is going on. Like, where the, where's the family? They don't know what's going on. Aaron and Andy end up going back to the house, thinking Kemper may actually be inside, while Morgan and Pepper return to the van. Not long after Andy sneaks into the house, he's discovered, and the old man calls Leatherface up to deal with the intruders. Aaron gets away, but Andy gets his leg cut off around the knee and is dragged into the basement where Leatherface starts to kind of prepare him. He puts him on a meat hook, just like Pam in the first flick. Aaron makes it back to the van, but before they can leave, the sheriff reappears and forces the kids to the ground. After some psychological torture, he tricks Morgan into firing an empty gun at him. Uh, so we can then arrest him, Morgan. And uh, he leaves the women behind, taking the keys to the van with him, at which point, uh, what happens, AJ? Well, while he's driving Morgan back to the house, Aaron is able to hotwire the van. But as soon as they start to drive away, uh, the wheels fall off. Clearly, it's been tampered with. They're fucked. Just after this occurs, Leatherface attacks the van. Like I said, fucked. Pepper tries to flee, but Leatherface catches her and dispatches her with the saw. 
This is the Franklin moment. Um, He turns to face Aaron. She sees the face of Kemper looking back, which I noticed today. That's how she finds out he's dead. Right. Is seeing that on his face. So that's Mm -hmm. that's a great moment for her. So she's flips out, is able to escape him, uh, finds an old trailer. These two women are inside, take Aaron in. They offer her tea. They're very soothing. They, they seem very helpful. Aaron quickly realizes that the baby in the trailer uh, is the baby. From the pictures they found earlier, these women have that baby. But that's kind of a late realization as she passes out from the tea they gave her, which obviously they've drugged. When she wakes up, she's in the living room of the house, surrounded by the sheriff the old man and the old woman from the store who is just a delight. If I may add an aside there, she's just, (laughs) she's just lovely. Leatherface tosses her into the basement, finds Andy on a meat hook. He is suffering. She can't get him off. He just wants to end it. He convinces her to uh, perform a mercy killing on him, which she does, stabbing him the fuck to death with a knife. It's very heartwarming. I'm just kidding. It's fucked up and disturbing. She then finds Morgan injured but alive, and the boy appears, helps them escape the house. Leatherface is now pursuing them. They hole up in a shack, all for naught. Leatherface gets inside, hangs Morgan from a chandelier, and uh, puts the chainsaw just right up wishbone style. Not where any of you gentlemen would want a chainsawing. Let's just say that. Well, now that he's split him, tell us what happens now, Chris. So Aaron makes it out of the shack. She stumbles upon this uh, meatpacking plant. After a couple of failed attempts at hiding out from uh, Leatherface, uh, she keeps slipping away from him. Finally, she grabs a meat cleaver. She hides in, uh, in a locker, in like a locker room area. She draws Leatherface to her with some screaming. And then she pops out and... Hacks away at his arm with the uh, meat cleaver, uh, hacks his arm off. He, it's, it, it's his chainsaw arm, so it falls to the ground, and she's able to, to get away. Uh, she gets out on the, to the road, pouring down rain at this point. She waves down a trucker. Uh, it's Buddy Garrity from Predator Night Light. Uh, mm-hmm. She waves him down. She gets into the truck. He's going to help her, but uh, she realizes quickly that he's taking her back to where the store is in that direction. So it's very similar to the opening with girl who kills herself in the van, like, and now... Aaron is, is this girl, and she's panicking, trying to grab the wheel. He bats her away, ends up pulling over. The The trucker gets the attention of the sheriff, who's at the, at the store now, and uh, the sheriff approaches the truck with his gun drawn. But surprise, asshole, Aaron's already in your cop car. She's hot-wired that, and she runs you down three times, making sure you're dead, and then she drives away into the night with the baby, which she had snuck around and grabbed away from the mousy girl who was inside the store. So that's pretty much it. That's the the end of the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I saw this in theaters. I was working at the local Cinemark at the time. So I'm, I probably screened it. I can't really remember, but I saw it in, in theaters. Uh, what about your experience with this remake first of the big uh, remakes of the aughts? Um, I didn't get to see it in theaters. Uh, My roommate at the time, my buddy Manny, he saw it in the theaters and he loved it. So as soon as it hit DVD, he bought it and we watched it at least seven or eight times over a couple of weeks or like a month or something. And that was my first experience with it. I really liked it. Uh, I thought it was very intense. I was surprised at the the level of intensity that it was able to reach. Uh, I didn't expect that from, you know, some big glossy studio remake with fucking Jessica Biel, you know, <laughs> from Seventh Heaven. I mean, I it's like, a come on. It's a really mean movie. Yes. And it set there's a lot of stuff going like there's a lot of a much ballyhoo about like how horror reflects culture. 
and, and whatnot. And there's some validity to that, of course. So this is like 2003. So it's post 9-11. There, it's Bush administration. It's the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. All this stuff's going on. People aren't happy. And then these horror movies start coming out, starting, I think, with this one, it seems like. A year later, we've got Saw. That whole trend starts with, like, the torture porn thing. Hostile. Hostile, yeah, the Rob Zombie movies. So this, it seemed like this kind of started the trend of, like, those really, you know, mean-spirited, you know, hardcore-type horror flicks. I I would have to agree. It's not as graphic as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some gore in it, and, it, and I, I don't mean it's not gory the way the original is not gory. There's definitely gore in it, but there was a certain point in the movie that I was thinking about it, and it was well over halfway. Uh, we may have just hit the final third, and I kind of was like, is the most graphic thing we've seen so far when he got his leg cut off? Mm. And I was like, yeah, I think so, because even when he gets put on the hook, you don't actually see the hook go in him. Right, so when it's much Morgan, like the original. When, yeah, and when Morgan gets hit from the balls up, <laughs> you don't see that. You definitely know it's going on. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with Pepper getting chopped the fuck up. You see down feathers and shit from her jacket, <laughs> cotton flying in the air. So, I mean, you, you definitely know. But it could have gone harder and it didn't. Yet it's still very impactful, which I appreciate. I'm like, you know, not bad. Way to pull yeah. it off. Yeah. I, I think probably the most gruesome thing in the entire movie happens like six minutes in which is the suicide yeah yeah you're right that's probably the big and and so it like sets the stage for the rest of the movie and that never show off shot yeah it never really gets back to that level of like you know holy shit (laughs) yeah but it's plenty intense i i have to say uh it not to jump ahead to anything that you're not ready to talk about yet but i don't think i liked it as much as i did back then i still like it Mm-hmm. I still like it very much. It just wasn't as effective. It didn't affect me as strongly as it did during that period of time when I watched it so many times. And I liked it a lot. I mean, I was willing to rewatch it fucking six, seven, eight, nine times, whatever it was. But today it was kind of like, you know, okay, all right. Yeah, I can appreciate you. I can, I can party with you. But it just didn't have that effect. And I don't know if it's all the horror movies that came in its wake. Like you said, it mm-hmm. kind of kicked off a trend and I saw all those and a lot of them I liked and there was plenty that I didn't. I don't know that I ever got burned out on the torture porn thing, what they would call torture porn, which I don't really know is fair. Um, yeah, there, a lot of stuff gets lumped into that that it probably doesn't deserve it. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I mean, it's, I still think it's a good horror movie and it's still uh, a lot of people still like it. I tweeted about watching it today. Uh, in preparation for, you know, right now. And a lot of people responded and and a fair number of them were like, this is my favorite. You know, I'm sorry, (laughs) you know, to, you know, people who will scream blasphemy. But, you know, this is a mean, nasty, in-your-face horror movie. And it, you know, that's what I wanted and that's what it does. I love it. So, I mean, it's still, and there are still people that absolutely despise it. Just (laughs) hate this fucking movie. But I think it's good. Yeah, I'm with you. I I like it quite a bit. I, uh, I, like I said, I saw it in theaters and I didn't pick up a DVD right away for whatever reason. Uh, I remember a few years after it came out, Walmart had like the big, like, two disc deluxe DVD that had like, uh, like a metallic chainsaw cover. Oh, yeah. And it was like five bucks because I guess they produced so many that they <laughs> they ended up like having to get rid of them at really cheap. So I was like, hey, I'll buy this for five bucks. So I've had that version ever since. But um, yeah, I really like it when it came out and I revisited it for the first time in years 
probably a year and a half ago and was, I mean, this is, I still think it's really effective and it's to me, it's more rewatchable than the original because I just think the original is such an unpleasant movie. (laughs) Uh, And then this one is too in a way, but it's also very, like we said earlier, slick and stylized version of a a modern horror movie. Mm -hmm. I say modern, even though it's now 18 years old or or whatever. (laughs) Um, Don't, don't don't say those things to me. sad i know it's sad. i know i know but yeah I, I i know what you mean about it being more watchable i get you i get you it's it's um, just i mean it, it is what they intended it to be i think i think they were really good at making the movie they wanted to make yeah and they before guys before we get too much into the the actual movie i was I wanted to kind of talk about the director uh, marcus nispel because I remember when this came out, this is around the time I was really starting to pay attention to who was directing movies and like, you know, different filmmaking styles and stuff like that. And once he made this, I was really excited to see what he would do next. I really like this movie. It's a visual flair and stuff. And I think his next movie was Pathfinder, which I didn't see for a long time because I heard it was bad. And when I did finally watch it, I did think it was kind of bad. <laughs> uh, not really bad, but just mediocre. And he would go on to do the Friday the 13th remake and... A few other things that I don't think I've actually seen. So his career, I, w- I don't want to say stalled out because he's, I think he's still working. But um, I think I, I can't think of the last thing he made. He made the, <laughs> the Conan the Barbarian remake. That's right. Yeah, that's an, that's another one. Yeah. Another underwhelming movie, I thought. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I really liked this one. I do. You know, we'll talk about it, you know, in a few weeks. But um, I like the Friday the 13th remake. Not as much as this one, but um I thought he did fine with that. But yeah, he, he hasn't had a whole lot of success post this. I think this is still probably his biggest hit. I'm pretty sure you're right. I was very excited to see Pathfinder because mm-hmm. um, I just love the idea. You know, a, a, a orphaned Viking kid being raised by Native Americans and fighting, invading Vikings. You know, that was, that's a fucking home run yeah. concept right there. <laughs> and the movie is just kind of... Eh. There's a kick-ass uh, action sequence where they're fighting going down the side of a mountain. Mm. On Paul Urban is in that, right? Yeah, and he's cool. And Moon Bloodgood is really cool to look at. I like her. Yeah. But the movie is just, yeah, it's underwhelming. Even with, I think it's Ron Perlman as the bad guy, isn't it? Oh, really? I mean, I've, I, I saw it like or, over a decade ago, so I don't Yeah, it's either Perlman it. or Skarsgård. I, I haven't, I watched it really excited and have never seen it again. The the Texas Chainsaw, uh, I hadn't seen it again until today. You oh, really? Since yeah. like mm-hmm. early 2000s? Yeah. I watched it all those times, and I don't <laughs> think I ever watched it again until today. Now, his Friday the 13th remake, now, like you said, again, we'll get to that. But I will note that one I have continued to rewatch mm-hmm. uh, since it came out. I think that one's one of the best in the series. I know some people, again, blasphemy, fast, Jason. <laughs> burr, burr, burr. But you know what? Yes. Fuck you. It's a really, really good slasher movie. And if you want the other Jason movies to be like the ones you watched growing up, you can still watch those. Yeah. <laughs> They're still there. They didn't go anywhere. This right. is just a different take on it. And I think I like that one better than I like this one. I like mm-hmm. Friday the 13th better than I did Texas Chainsaw. Again, I, I have continued to watch it. And Conan the Barbarian got super excited for that, too. The original one meant so much to me as a kid. And then I saw it. And I that's one of those ones that, and I know we've all had this experience, people who love movies. You watch it, and you're like, no, it, it's good. It's good. <laughs> this, this is good. This is good. That's cool. That wasn't as, that wasn't 
absolutely horrible. That's not the worst thing I've ever seen. And you just try to convince yourself because you want (laughs) to love it so much. And really, it's not good. Momoa is not guilty at all. He's doing the best he can. He was, I'd never seen him in anything because I think all he'd been in that that most people knew was the Stargate TV show he was on. Oh, yeah. I'd never seen him in my life. And so he was just like this force of nature thing. Oh, and the entire first 10 minute sequence of the movie with young Conan, that shit is sick. I thought the whole movie <laughs> was going to be like that. And I was like, Oh, let's go. Yeah. And then it was like, why can't you be like the first 10 minutes of the movie? Like, I know you can do that. I watched you do that. Why'd you stop doing that? So, yeah. And I don't, if he's made anything after that, I, I could not name it for you. So I think yeah, I, just like his career is kind of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked up his uh, filmography earlier and yeah, it looks like the last thing he did was a movie called Exeter, which I don't think I've heard of. Uh, but it came out in 2015. It's some kind of like, uh, it's got Stephen Lang in it. Hey, that's something. It's some kind of like exorcism horror movie. Yeah, I don't think I ever heard of it. Uh, that was 2015. That was the last thing he's done. And before that was Conan. After Texas Chainsaw, he did a Frankenstein movie. It looks like for the USA Network. Dean Koontz okay. uh, version of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Dean Koontz had a whole series of Frankenstein books. Yeah, I think it had uh, Parker Posey. Yeah, she's it. listed in, yeah. Uh, her, Adam Goldberg, and a bunch of people I've never heard of. Uh, Michael Madsen as well. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, he's only done a handful of, uh, I guess, seven, six movies. Uh, I know he did a shitload of music videos because... yeah. He was one of the guys when MTV one first still, you know, still played music videos. Right. Uh, but two, they had started to add an extra credit to the little lower left credits where yeah. they would note the director. Mm-hmm. And I would remember those names, guys like Samuel Bayer, who ended up doing the Platinum Dunes Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, Wayne Isham, you know, uh, McGee, all that shit. But I remember the name Marcus Nispel. So when it was like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is coming out. Here's, you know, I was like, oh, they got a fucking music director to direct that. <laughs> but he really did a good job in it. I, yeah. I, I think he did. And Daniel Pearl coming back to do the director of photography, his cinematography in this remake is fucking kick ass. Yeah, that's a really cool uh, note, too, because he was the cinematographer on the original as well. And they brought. And then back. he went into music videos, not as a director, but as a cinematographer. He shot a whole bunch of them. I did read about a story where. When they were getting ready to do the movie and Nispel's like, I want to bring Daniel Pearl in because, you know, the connection to the original and mm-hmm. Nispel had probably worked with them on some of those music videos. Yeah. And I guess Michael Bay was like, well, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> you know, and he, you know, told Pearl, he's like, well, let me see a reel. Let me see. Let me see some of what you did. And I guess, you know, I don't know if this is a real story, if this really happened. But the way I heard it, Daniel Pearl brought in a DVD of the original movie. And it's like, here, bitch. <laughs> You want to know what I did? Check that shit out. Flex. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking legend. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at Nispel. He, his Wikipedia also has his videography. So, yeah, he, he's he got uh, starting in 1990 for music videos. Curtis yeah, Mayfield, yeah. CNC Music Factory, LL Cool J, Mariah Carey, George Michael, B-52s. Uh, like all biggest. for one. Hello. Hello. Uh, Foo Schnickens. Shaq's favorite rap group. Uh, yeah. Amy Grant. Bette Baby, Miller, Bay Jackson, Bay. Elton John, no doubt. A lot of cool, cool stuff. So, yeah, he was very busy in the 90s doing music videos and, and landed up Platinum well, Dunes. Yeah, some of the biggest stars of that time. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So let's look at the cast as well, I guess. Obviously, the lead, Jessica Beal. This is her first, uh, maybe her first feature. I'm not sure, but definitely her first like big starring role in a in a big movie. As Aaron, she was uh, Seventh Heaven Girl. Uh, I didn't really know much about her because I never watched Seventh Heaven. But uh, me neither. I do remember there was a big push for her, you know, for her career to get out of like. You know, because Seventh Heaven was like a, a, a family show, really goody two shoes type show about a a pastor and his family. Pastor actor later was uh, arrested for child pornography, I think. So the whole unpleasant thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, she was trying to get out of the mold of you know the, a goody two shoes type actress. So she was doing some like sexy photo shoots and magazines and stuff. And then she landed this role in a big uh, horror flick, and her career kind of took off after that. And I'm a fan of hers. I think she's really good in this. She's probably got the best performance, I think. Although I mean, I think, if, if we're not counting the immortal Arlie Ermy. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I was going to say Eric Balfour. I actually, I think he's really good in this and in, in uh, limited screen time. So, yeah, she's uh, she's the lead. And Jonathan Tucker as Morgan, the nerdy type guy, uh, Erica Learson. Lair- I think it's Learson. Learson, that sounds right. Uh, Erica Learson. I knew her only from uh, the Blair Witch sequel that sucked. Book of Shadows. Cold yeah, baby, Blitch that did. fucking movie sucks. Sorry, <laughs> well, but it does. And Mike Vogel as Andy. I know Vogel a little bit because he was in Under the Dome, the Stephen King uh, CBS show based on uh, the Keith book. Fucking disappointment that show. <laughs> I knew him from Grounded for Life. They were okay. doing, you know, they were following uh, the the screen template that they set really well. Take your young stars from WB shows and shit mm-hmm. like that. You know, Grounded for Life for Mike Vogel, uh, Seventh Heaven for Jessica Biel. You know that whole thing. Yeah, that was kind of the uh, the late '90s Miramax slasher template. Yeah, and with this, they're kind of like, if it ain't broke, you know, why? Fix? And it worked out very <laughs> well for them. You know, yeah, yeah. Eric Balfour, I guess he was on Six Feet Under. I've never really watched that. I know him only really from Twenty Four. Yeah, he was on a few seasons of Twenty Four. But yeah, like you said, Arlie Ermy probably is the guy who steals the show in this movie. He is. I love Arlie Ermy in everything I've seen him in. Everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and he's kind of just playing himself, but like yeah. a grosser version in this. Yes, but I mean, just straight up belly laughs when he's like. Uh, when Andy's like in his way and he's like, excuse me, you want to get the fuck out of my way, please? Yeah. <laughs> Calling him asshole. And yeah, it's, it's not pleasant, but it's funny because he's just so, you know, I mean, and the things he's saying are absolutely fucking horrible. Oh yeah. But you laugh because of the way they're delivered. You know, I mean, it, it it's just the way it works. You can say really, really horrible shit, but if you say it the right way, despite yourself, you'll be like, oh my God, that's so fucked up. They're making jokes about throwing babies out the window. <laughs> yeah. But that's funny. He is, I, I have the feeling he's probably, some of that shit might be improv. Yeah, I was going to actually mention that because I watched some of the special features on, on this DVD I've got, and they basically said most of Arlie Ermey's dialogue, <laughs> See, especially yeah. the van scene where they're wrapping the girl up, that he just was improv and most of that stuff. Well, I'm sure she's all bothered to hell that, you know, that part. <laughs> that kills me. Yeah, he's great in it. But I, I also agree with you that Jessica Beale is really good. I think she has only gotten better 
as the years have gone on. You know, maybe they weren't giving her the right roles to showcase the talent that was always there. But yeah. I think some people, you know, and I've said this about Brad Pitt for years. I don't think Brad Pitt was the actor that he is now. It's just you learn by doing, you know, yeah. not that he was a bad actor, but, you know, he, he coasted by early on, I think, on his charisma and his good looks. But the actual acting skill, he has gotten so good at it. I think he's one of the best actors we got right now. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say he can kick Daniel Day-Lewis's ass or something, but he's <laughs> really fucking good. And Jessica Biel, over the last few years, I see her in things that I'm like, wow. Like, back when I watched this, I was like, she's really good. She's not just this goody-do-shoes girl from Seventh Heaven. She, you know, she's really good in this. But even then, watching her and thinking how good she was, I don't think I would have, I could have predicted that she would be as good as she is now. I think she's just a damn fine actress. Um, yeah, I really want to see that Candy uh, yes. show on Hulu. Which... There's another version of that same story coming out with like also awesome actors like oh, really? Jesse Plemons and shit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's a, that's a crazy it was, true story. It was made into a major TV movie, I think in the nineties, because it's based on a book that Joe Bob Briggs as John Bloom co-wrote with another guy in the eighties. It's a true crime book, but yeah, it's a nutty ass story. Yeah. Uh, I read the, I don't, I didn't read the book obviously, but there was this like two part Texas monthly article that I read like maybe a year ago when I heard they were making that other version. And yeah. So when I saw the preview for Candy, I was like, this is that story. This is that <laughs> thing. This is going to be crazy because that story is fucking nuts, dude. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, I want to see it really bad, too. I'm sure she's great at it. Her and Melanie Linsky. Get down. But yeah, uh, that, I um... like Eric Balfour as much as you do I, to, to shift it over. He's yeah. fine. He's fine. I think he's one of those guys. You know, when you see someone in something for the first time and it just kind of fucks you because you can't really <laughs> see them any other way. Yeah. There was something that he did. I can't name it offhand, like some high school type thing or something where he was just a prick, <laughs> like a bully type, like the yeah. uh, the big man on campus kind of guy, the jock boyfriend kind of asshole in the movie. And he just he did it so well. They just rubbed me the wrong way. And so now every time he every time he would show up on something, I would just see his face and I'd be like, I don't like that thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm that not face. like a huge uh, fan <laughs> of his. I, I, I've only really seen him in this and 24, don't, which he's don't. fine in 24. I just think he I just think his character in this, he does a good job. I mean, he, he's he's good as opposed to bad for sure. But <laughs> sure. don't like Chris. You know, you you know, you're a big fan of the Balfour. <laughs> you got Skyline's poster on your wall, boy. Don't lie to me. Oh, is he in Skyline? Yeah. So I've seen him in that as well. <laughs> but <laughs> you didn't a big remember impression, it. clearly. Uh, anyway, Andrew, yeah, he's, he's fine. Yeah. Bri uh, Andrew Brian, you can say it. Do I have to? I, <laughs> like if, like I, I feel like if somehow he hears me say it and I say it Ooh. wrong, he'll like come want to kill me. From the things I've heard, that gentleman is not what we would call fully balanced. Mm. He seems kind of fucking <laughs> nutball. Yeah. I think it's Andrew Brynarski. Okay. Br we'll go with that. Brian, yeah, Bryn <laughs> <laughs> some shit i don't know the big yeah, leather face fucker <laughs> <laughs> he's much more of a boogeyman leather face rather than the weirdo that is in the original yeah not much really personality other than he's just a killing machine basically it's much more of a jason slasher yeah type thing than the original was yeah which i think works fine for this i think he does a good job it's just oh, for sure very different sure. take from from the original when we talked about the newest sequel uh, the one that came out on Netflix yeah. a few months back, which, again, I really liked. I thought that was a fun a fun time. And that approached it like a slasher. 
And this one does too. The way it kind of sets Aaron up as the final girl very distinctly yeah. in a way that in the language of the slasher that we all understand, you know, she ain't drinking, she doesn't approve of the weed, you know, all that shit, <laughs> which the first one does not do. They're all just kids. You know, they're all just college age kids. It's not, they're not playing the archetypes. Well, there, there's a specific reason why she's kind of a goody two shoes that I'll get into when we get into the actual plot of the movie based on some Ooh. of the deleted scenes that were on the DVD. Okay. Uh, oh, is it a thing where she used to be a big partier or something? Uh, no, that's no. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking of another movie then. Okay. The other only other character or actress I wanted to mention was the, the old lady. Yeah. Who I think was, uh, Luda May, I guess is what her credited name is. Mm-hmm. Played by uh, Marietta Merritt. And yeah, she is just like a bitch in this movie. Oh, bitch. Perfectly, played perfectly. Just like a, an old Southern just bitch. <laughs> and uh, she really, I mean, she looks a lot like my grandmother in this <laughs> movie, who I don't really have any memories of because she died when I was like five. But I, there are a lot of pictures of her and stuff. She had the same kind of glasses, same kind of hair and stuff. So yeah. that's always... Uh, caught me as odd but yeah she's really good and you just can't stand her immediately (laughs) yeah she's got to show up and make an impression and the impression is that you don't like her and she does that really well anything else about the cast before we move um i think erica learson and mike vogel are fine you know, mm-hmm. like they're, they're the most disposable of the bunch and they yeah. show up and they do what they're asked and they're competent at the very least. I have no problem with them. I really like Jonathan Tucker because I really like Jonathan Tucker as an actor. I think he's a great character actor since uh, that movie Sleepers uh, when he played the younger version of Billy Crudup, <laughs> of all people. Because, uh, yeah, when I when I look at Jonathan Tucker, I think, yeah, that dude looks like Billy Crudup. <laughs> um, but I think he's great, and I think he's great in the part. The little kid that's also in the ring, he's fucking weird. So he, he does his job. Much like you, when he showed up in the movie today, I was like, Buddy Garrity! Yeah. <laughs> I was excited to see Buddy Garrity. Yeah, it's always um, a treat to see him show up in anything. Always a treat. He's great, man. He's another dependable guy. You know, he'll show up and play a redneck or right. like a cop or like some <laughs> sleazy local politician or something. You know, all Buddy Garrity type yeah. things. Um, and you know, he, he shows up and nails it and he's done. Any, anything else on the cast? The cast. No, I think, you know, I think everyone in it does exactly what they're there to do. Like the, the two ladies in the trailer, creepy. You know, you just, I wouldn't drink anything them bitches gave me. I mean, you can just tell they're evil. They're evil, dude. No, no, I just wouldn't be feeling it. But, um, yeah, I think they're all great. You know, I mean, great, you know, considering. I'm not saying yeah, anyone did it was no, like, you know, this should have been nominated for an Oscar. No, yeah, I'm not there, talking that. <laughs> there are no standout bad performances. Um, no, no, everyone is, everyone is very good. You don't ever go, well, that kind of took me out because that kind of sucked. You know, I, I guess I should mention also Terrence Evans as old Monty, the wheelchair guy. He is really good as like an asshole Southerner that doesn't want anybody fucking with him. <laughs> yeah, I kind of hated his ass, too. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it was that was happening, but we were watching the movie earlier today. And, and I, I think I may have disturbed my wife a little bit. We were watching. I was like, I'd kick that motherfucker out of his wheelchair. <laughs> just kick him out and just walk on out. Fuck you, dude. Yeah, you know, I'm like. <laughs> I, I live in Kentucky and which is pretty much the south and not as as south as Texas obviously, but like it seems like it's kind of the same. I see these caricatures sort of of southern people, like poor southern people, and it's like, yeah, I recognize these people from 
when I was growing up. Like it's, you know, it's it, the stereotypes, I guess they're kind of true in some ways. And it's the same in Texas as it was in rural Kentucky when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, dude, stereotypes are stereotypes because they happen over and over and over yeah. again. That's how it becomes a stereotype. You know, the, they, they definitely have a basis in truth and, People, I understand getting defensive about that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up uh, born and bred Californian, and when people would act like everyone's, like, oh, they sniff their own farts, you know, that kind of shit. <laughs> and it's all very, you know, liberal, you know, just all that. It's like, no, man, that's not Cal. That's sure. Some people in California are exactly that. That's exactly where that comes from. But it's not all of us. That said, I recognize them rednecks. I do. And I didn't even have to grow up in Texas to meet those rednecks. You got rednecks everywhere. But they definitely exist in the South like that. I do understand people getting defensive, but that's real shit right there. There are people like that. There are people like that asshole in the wheelchair. And like you said, some Southern (laughs) prick who don't want people messing with them. And it's like, well, maybe that's why you're in a wheelchair, dick. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, Yeah, most uh, of the people in the movie I don't really like. (laughs) Yeah, And and that's by design. Yeah. yeah, not a lot of char- characters to really cheer for outside of uh, you know, a couple of the the kids in the van. The the guy in the wheelchair. I want to when we when I bring up some of the deleted scene stuff, I, I want to circle back to him as well later about how maybe he got in that wheelchair. <laughs> Being an asshole. <laughs> so I actually, you know, I forgot to to uh, bring up on the original. I was going to bring up like the template that it sets for a remake, which mm-hmm. we didn't really discuss. But I think it's good that. This version is not like a straight remake of the original. Like it's got the same bones of the story as far as like five kids in a van stumble into this horrific nightmare, basically. But the characters are not the same. It's a different group. Of, it, it could almost be that it could almost be a sequel as much as it is a remake, really. Yeah. Uh, it could just be this is another group, you know, that came upon these this family a year later or whatever. I guess it couldn't really be a, a sequel because the family is also different as far as Leatherface's family. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought that was a good idea for them to not do a straight beat for beat remake from the original. Yeah. I know some people didn't like very specifically that it didn't have the dinner scene at the end because the dinner scene is so iconic. Yeah. And they did take, you know, the hook stuff, the getting slammed on the head with the hammer and then that big door slamming, not all in mm-hmm. one shot, which was funny because I remembered it being like that. That's how I yeah. remember it. I remember it being much more like the original. Today he gets hit and then he gets dragged and then Leatherface slams that door. But I know some people were mad that they didn't do the dinner scene. I don't really fucking care. I don't think they could have done it with the same impact and power the original did anyway. So I don't mind that they mixed it up a little bit. I think they mostly made good choices. There's mm-hmm. nothing that they did that I would say was a complete and total misstep. I think making, because in this one, Arlie Ermy is basically the cook. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though he's not, he doesn't fulfill the same function as he did, but he does kind of hold that same place in the family. He's the one that is out in the public, you know, not dealing with them. Great. Apparently, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, like you said, as far as the template, it follows it pretty smart. Uh, I can't really think of anything that I really wish they would have done different. You would think that I could. <laughs> if if I say that I don't like absolutely 100% love it, you would think that that means that I feel there's room for improvements. But I think it's just really, I think it did a really smart job of going, we're going to make it 
this way. We're not going to do yeah. exactly what they did. We're going to do it this way. And I think that was the way to go. Well, like you mentioned, the dinner scene not being in, in the remake, which I agree is probably for the best, because that just invites more comparison to the original for one thing. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, the original has this absurdist bent to it, especially with the dinner scene and like almost comedic, you know, in some yeah. ways. Whereas this one is devoid of humor, with the exception of some of Erm early Ermy's dialogue, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Some of the things uh, they say are you laugh. Yeah. But it's not this like you're exactly right. It's not like an absurd tone. And I know that Toby Hooper was kind of sad that people didn't get that it was supposed to be funny too. Like sick, yeah. sick, sick humor. But it was supposed mm -hmm. to be funny, which is why I think he tried to really make that something you could not miss in the sequel. Even though, yeah. of course, some people did. <laughs> but yeah, the, with this one, like, you know, we mentioned earlier how mean, <laughs> mean-spirited this movie is. The tone, you know, set early with the hitchhiker, you know, when she pulls that gun out, like, everything kind of turns in that scene. Like, yeah. she's already unstable, apparently, but then, like, everybody freaks out. And, you know, she doesn't just shoot herself. Like, you see the gun in her mouth, her cheeks, you know, fly out from the impact skull fragments are flying and blood and brains flying everywhere. And then when she's like laying back, like there's even smoke coming out of her mouth, coming out of her mouth. Yeah. I didn't it's remember just, that detail. That was some shit today. I was like, Oh, and also the camera does a pan back, like through the hole in her head, Sam Raimi style almost. <laughs> yeah. It's a really show offy move, but I think it, it works really well. Yeah. Um, it's uh, shots that call attention to themselves like that. Don't always, play the way I think they want them to, but that yeah. one did. That Agreed. One did. And I, yeah, that, that kind of, that from that point movie. on, like, you know, like the kind of movie you're in for basically. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. When she pulls that gun out from between her legs, just that alone, when she, when mm. I first saw it, I remember like, Oh, I didn't know it was going to be that kind of party. You know, even though I was watching a Texas chainsaw remake and I expected it to go pretty hard. I was just like, Oh, it's like that. Okay. And you, <laughs> you kind of have to adjust in the moment. You kind of have to go, okay, we're okay. I got to prepare for that kind of shit. Mm. We talked earlier about Nispel's like style or whatever. There, the scenes where like Aaron and Kemper are walking through the forest like midday, and there's these streams of light coming through the trees. I mean, smoke. it is like beautiful looking. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, smoke that doesn't need to be there or doesn't yeah. necessarily make sense, but makes it look super fucking cool. Yeah, I really love. There's like at least two shots of the house at night mm -hmm. backlit and that's those are fucking beautiful dude <laughs> those are beautiful shots like oh yeah that's that's horror movie fucking iconography right there right but to me that's just like that's killer that's something yeah. that you can say about the platinum dune remake factory as it were they looked good yeah they're all gonna look good they were all gonna have real good cinematography you know that that house that serves as the um oh hewitt the Hewitt family house, yeah. That was a location find. They didn't, you know, build that for for the shoot. They just found it essentially abandoned or at least not lived in for years and used it as is, more or less. Here's what I have to say to that. Fuck that. <laughs> okay, because that that house just looks wrong. There's something yeah. about it, the square blockiness yeah. of it. It's just, it feels like imposing. Like, nope. No, thank yeah. you. Well, and house, I would have bet that they built it to to do exactly that. I, If you had asked me, I would have bet money. I would have lost my money. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed looking. that it's just a, a location find. What a find that is, because that's <laughs> some shit. Yeah, it, it's a, it's an amazing piece of architecture, if nothing else. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking at um, Do Awesome Stuff in Austin, the website, I guess, oh. <laughs> uh, about the Hewitt House, which is uh, the house in the movie. It says, the hauntingly beautiful 6,000-square-foot southern plantation house used in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 and 2006. The, the prequel. Uh, the six-bedroom house was built in Austin in eight, in the 1850s, then moved by train in the 1930s and rebuilt brick by brick where it now sits. Oh, sure. Because, which is you know, insane. <laughs> I mean, why terrorize one landscape when you can terrorize two? <laughs> yeah, but apparently um, it's currently being like uh, remodeled and somebody owns it now and you're you can't go near it or they freak out <laughs> you can take pictures of it from the road but you can't go on the property or the owners will freak out cool <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, I went down a rabbit trail of, of uh, looking up stuff about that house today so i just thought i'd share that well i mean i get it it's a cursed house <laughs> <laughs> you want to know for your own protection <laughs> you know another cool shot uh, which is kind of one of the iconic shots of the movie, I guess, is when Andy is running out of the house and Leatherface is chasing him. Through all the sheets? Leatherface just slashes through the door as he runs through. Oh, in slow-mo? That's a great shot. Yeah, it's it's a really cool shot. Yeah. And that's as close as we really get that scene to the chase in the first movie when he's chasing Andy through the sheets that are hung up in the yard. Mm. There's a lot of fucking sheets. Like, my wife was even like, why do they have so many sheets? Yeah, <laughs> because it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, I don't think those people use sheets, so. No, no um, I, I, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, there's some chasing with Aaron later, but right. it doesn't. It's not as frenetic, though, as in the original, and I just got, I thought the, the part with Andy was a little. That feels more like the, the Sally chase yeah. from the original. It's got that same vibe. Like you said, frenetic, chaotic. Mm-hmm. You know, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, you know, the most disturbing thing in the movie to me easily, it, and it kind of echoes what I was saying about Pam in the first movie when she has to sit there with a hook on a hook while her boyfriend gets, you know, torn apart with a chain, chainsaw, even though he's already dead. You know, when Aaron sees Leatherface wearing her boyfriend's face, like that is demented, <laughs> you know, super it really disturbing. Is. And yeah, it's, super it's disturbing. a really good practical effect because it's very it's Kemper yeah. you know what I mean you see it and you you know and you know that she would know you know yeah, you sometimes when they recognize exactly you, know, the, you can see the realization come over her face yeah because sometimes when that kind of thing happens it's just like a messy bloody gory mess mm -hmm. it is not like Silence of the Lambs where they couldn't tell you know the dude even though he's trying to pretend he's the the security guard you know what I'm talking about when he was wearing the guy's face yeah in Silence of the Lambs. That mm. was just a mess. You know what I mean? And right. th there's no way they could. You, Hannibal could have just poured fucking blood on his <laughs> face. And it would have had the same effect. But this, it's like, oh, it's that fucking guy. Look, look, he's wearing his fucking face. It's not. It's not cool. Uh, one thing that I just noticed today when I was looking at the cast and the, and the characters and stuff was Kemper, which is... I'm sure a nod to Ed Kemper, which uh, is a serial killer that a lot of people think they kind of credit as being what the first Texas Chainsaw is based on. Oh, no, not to be that asshole. No, uh, please be. Please be. Ed, Ed, I don't know if it's Gein or Gein. That's right. That's the guy. Ed Kemper is the one that was in Mindhunter. Mindhunters. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he, he's a serial killer. He's the one that skull. That's right. Yes, yes. Okay. That dude. 
He's yeah, disturbing right. as fuck. He's disturbing as fuck. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I still wouldn't wonder if maybe he was ba- his name was still a nod. That's where the name came from. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, or it could just be you know they wanted to name him the way people name babies now, which is a last name for a first name. Mm. Hi, this is my one year old little baby. They're named Remington. <laughs> too much for a baby anyway i'm sorry you can edit that shit out (laughs) (laughs) no it's staying in the only other thing i really had from the actual movie the meat the meat plant sequence at the end it it almost is like if they had ended it before that you know we have the scene where she runs through the fence and then leatherface trips and cut and slices his leg open just like in the original Uh and then she flees into the meatpacking plant or whatever so it almost could, that could have, if she hadn't gone there, if like she got into the road, jumped in a truck, it could have been very similar to the ending to the original. That last sequence with her, you know, in the plant, that's where it really feels like a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees yeah. chase, like where she's hiding and he keeps grabbing her and she flees. And, you know, that part is a little repetitive and I think kind of lengthens the movie too much. It's a little too long because of that. I, I agree they could cut that a little bit. I was pleasantly surprised that it doesn't even hit an hour 40 yeah um i was like cool you know it's it's 90 something minutes so you know that's not bad get in do your job get out it is fairly well paced i I do agree that that ending sequence is very slashery they could have trimmed it a bit i think it i think it works for me because i really do like the payoff in the sense that she comes out she hacks him a good four or five times his arm goes flying off and then to me the payoff is his arm attached to the chainsaw spinning around in a circle yeah. on the floor because the chainsaw is yeah. going and then in a rage in blind dumb animal pain he picks it up and starts slamming it into the wall to try to knock his fucking arm off of it mm-hmm and I'm just like, that's fucking awesome. That would almost be worth the price of admission alone if I didn't like the rest of the movie. Almost. Almost. Yeah, I but do. That, that was great. Yeah, I do like Leatherface's reaction to that. I've always been kind of annoyed by that. Like, it just, I feel like it's pushing the suspension of disbelief a little bit that she can hack away like eight or nine times at his arm with him just kind of standing there. Yeah. Like, if it had been two good whacks, that would have been believable enough. You know, the, if that had done it, but he just kind of standing there screaming while she's just wailing away on his arm and he's not really moving or anything. Uh, also, maybe go for the neck. But. <laughs> <laughs> Top um, of the head, something. Sure. That's been that's something that even the first time I watched it, I thought that was a little cheesy. But that's a, that's kind of a minor complaint, really. Um, but that's all I've really got for the main thrust of the movie. You got anything else you want to throw out there? No, I think I covered everything. I again, I, I think I liked it less today than I did years ago but in a negligible kind of way like if i I think earlier i would have given it four out of five stars just for the effectiveness because i do think it i do still find it effective but when i first saw it i found it very very effective which is why i liked it the way i did and would be kind of surprised when i'd hear people go "Oh, that movie's just a piece of shit i'm like how can it be a piece (laughs) of shit when it hits so hard whereas today i i would feel comfortable giving it three and a half stars which is still, you know, I'm still saying it's good. Still I'm good. still saying it's worthwhile because I, it is to me. So, yeah, I think it's a, a good movie. I don't think it has anywhere near the power of the original, but I think it's probably the best we could have hoped for in terms of something trying to do a remake. I like it better than Leatherface Chainsaw Part 3. I like it better than The Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or whatever the fuck that one's called. <laughs> 
that one I there's some weirdness about that that I do like. Kim Henkel is the one who did that. Yeah. And I'm really assuming that's that's all due to him and weirdness that, you know, he helped provide for the original that weird absurdist tone you had mentioned i don't think it's anywhere near as effective mm. uh, but i do i do appreciate that it's it's weird but no i i like this one a lot i like this one a lot i think it's good i think it's good i i am proud to have a co- i am happy to have a copy i don't know about proud i'm happy i'm happy to have a copy yeah i like it too i, li- I don't know if i like it more now i mean i liked it a lot then i went probably a good 12 or 13 years without watching it until a couple years ago and and I was surprised that it held up as well as it did, really, because I wasn't sure I was still going to like it, and I did. And it's now something that may end up being in kind of a more regular rotation, just because I think that it's, like you said, it's very effective as a a remake, but it's like its own thing. You know, it's not beholden necessarily to the 74 version, I guess. Yeah. But it is its own thing, and I think it's not perfect. I think a lot of people who hate it, you know, I mean, there's a certain percentage that we're going to hate it. They just don't like it, and that's fine. That's not, not, yeah. not a big deal. But I think a lot of backlash is purists who didn't want a remake of something like that, or it was never going to live up to what they saw in the original or whatever. Definitely. Uh, uh, and There's gonna, always going to be people who will tell you, I'll give it a chance. They won't. They're <laughs> yeah. not. They're not going to give it a chance at all. It, 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 there's nothing it can do. To make them happy. Um, a couple things from like the the deleted scenes and special features and stuff that I picked up on when I was watching some of that stuff on the DVD today. There are some interesting deleted scenes. I'm kind of glad they're all deleted because I don't. In some ways, I think it makes the movie too harsh. So the the first there was an alternate opening and ending. So we, we didn't talk about it much in this plot synopsis, but the opening of the movie there's the John Larroquette you know prologue stuff and they showed the some footage of some cops in the 70s investigating the crime scene. This would have been after Aaron escaped and I guess went to the police and stuff. And they show some of the locations of the house and stuff like that. And then they do again at the end, they show some more of the footage and then Leatherface kills a couple of the cops that are making the footage and that's kind of how the movie ends. But there was an alternate opening and ending that had Aaron in modern times, you know, in, in the early 2000s, and she's in a mental facility. So, okay. <laughs> so I guess the explanation is, or, or the assumption is she has been crazy ever since uh, the seventies and she's led the rest of her life in this mental institution, which I think makes it, it's just too much of a downer. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it opens with that. And then it closes with basically her saying she's being interviewed by like a, a, a reporter and she's basically saying, yeah, they never caught Thomas Hewitt Leatherface because I saw the autopsy photos and he had two arms, but I know he only has one arm because he, she cut one of them off, you know? So, you know, obviously Leatherface is still out there or whatever, but uh, the other uh, deleted scenes that were, I thought important and also involved Aaron. And it's the reason she wasn't drinking or smoking weed is because she was pregnant. Oh, and so there were some scenes, there was a scene where she told her boyfriend that she was pregnant and they, they referenced it in a few other scenes. Uh, that's all the deleted scenes I thought that were worth really talking about. There was also some stuff on the commentary. I watched part of the movie with the commentary track, which had Nispel, the writer, some of the actors. And they mentioned on there that the kid in the family, you know, the, the young kid that saves or like leads them out of the basement, that he was probably another kid that they kidnapped as a baby and had been raising him. He probably wasn't part of the actual family. Uh-huh. Uh, and they also mentioned 
on the commentary. And these, these are things that are just kind of alluded to. They're not, they weren't set in stone in the script or anything, but they also mentioned that the guy in the wheelchair was probably also not part of the actual family. He would just kind of latched onto him as the town died around them. <laughs> and uh, the reason he probably lost those legs is he maybe pissed somebody off and uh, Leatherface took a chainsaw to him. <laughs> oh, okay. Kind of took yeah, the, the whole fan thing to a new level and ended up getting, you know, yeah. <laughs> losing the legs for it. But yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Uh, anything else you want to say about the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I think we pretty much covered all the stuff as far as how it works as a remake and stuff like that. Yeah. But responding to the stuff about the deleted scenes, especially yeah. the alternate opening and ending, um, I agree that that would just be a bit too grim. Mm-hmm. But... And and you don't, that's the thing. It would be almost too realistic because, I mean, that would be what would happen. If some yeah. if somebody went through what almost every survivor of these horror movies goes through, they're fucked for life. That's, yeah, the best case scenario is uh, Laurie Strode in, in H2O 2018. Or, or 2018. Yeah. Yeah, but even then, it's still like she's, tr- the trauma defines her now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't make complete sense that Aaron would just be like, you know, no, can't handle it. Can't mm-hmm. handle it. I'm just going to. Uh. But, yeah, that would be too grim. I wouldn't. I don't need to see that. I mean, the stuff with her being pregnant is like an interesting character note, but not necessary. I don't yeah. think the movie works fine without it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, I should also mention on the deleted scenes, there were some other scenes that were cut for gore, such as the hitchhiker that girl, you know, when she shoots herself in the face or in the, in the head, there was additional, like her ear flies <laughs> off and lands in uh, Pepper's lap. Okay. Uh, so just like a real quick cut of that and a few other quick cuts of gore from that scene. And then the scene where Morgan gets it up the uh, midsection is much gorier. And you actually see the chainsaw, like in the movie, they actually cut before you actually see it hit his groin. Yeah. But there is a there is a deleted scene on the DVD. If you want to see that, you can. And there's a lot more. There's a shot from between his legs, kind of underneath them, where you can see a lot of gore, you know, pi- uh, draining out as yeah. the as the uh, saw goes up. That's that's awesome. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's interesting because, like I said, I found it inter- I found it interesting that they showed some restraint with that kind of yeah. stuff, and that they didn't, you know, they didn't necessarily that wasn't necessarily the plan. Although maybe it was too. I know that some of the some directors who have had a history or know about what it is to battle the MPAA, yeah. they film it extra gory with the intent of cutting it to a point that they always wanted it. But they know that if it if it goes too far when they do cut it to exactly what they wanted it to be in the first place, mm-hmm. that that's going to seem so much better. But they're like, this is all I ever really wanted to get away with anyway. You know, so maybe that's what they did. But at well, any rate, um, I, I think it's I think it's interesting that they chose not to use it, whether or not they, they couldn't or right. that was. Yeah, I think it works just as well with letting your imagination kind of I mean, especially if I'm sure it'd be mm-hmm. terrible a woman to take that type of punishment as well but any guy who sees that you know you see enough in the actual theatrical cut to yeah. to make an impact so just the fact that you know what's happening is like no yeah. god and then you just kind of cross your legs and wince and yeah. yes so the remake came out in 2004 they did do a sequel in 2006 i've only seen it once and i did not like it again we're probably going to be rehashing some of the stuff we talked about on an episode of small screeners um, that's okay a few months ago but um uh, what do you think about the franchise as a 
poll because I actually I've seen all of the Texas Chainsaw movies with the exception, I think, of Leatherface, which is the third movie and the most recent sequel before the Netflix version, which came out a couple uh, years ago. The other Leatherface? Yeah, are they both called Leatherface? Yeah. Okay, yeah, the one that's a prequel about young Leatherface. I've never seen that one. But uh, what do you think about the franchise? Franchise as a whole is fine. Obviously, it has a couple classics in there with one and two. Uh, And then I would put this one, which, again, I do like. And, well, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what I put the newer one ahead of this, the Netflix one, because I really did enjoy that. Again, as a slasher take on Mm. it, I just had a lot of fun with that. Part three, eh. Return and eh. prequel that came after uh, the remake, the yeah. Texas Chainsaw, the beginning did not like it all. Yeah. I watched that once and I have almost no memory of it. Um, and all not I because I was drunk it or is the last shot. I just, yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm the Mariah Carey gif. I don't know her. Yeah. But then I've after that was watching the, it again, just because it's on Netflix, I can just fire it up if I wanted to. But I don't know that I actually would. <laughs> the the one with Diodario, I know I've seen part of it. Yeah. And what I saw of it did not make me want to rush out and watch the whole of it. Mm-hmm. I do know the ending of it, you know, because you, you just by being online, I found yeah. the, end the whole do your thing because which just oh, yeah. seems like it's made up. <laughs> like that, that seems like something people just made up to fuck with other people but apparently no that's really what happens in the movie um it does can <laughs> it really does you can testify and then no i didn't see the leatherface one at all that one just sound it just didn't sound like it'd be my thing yeah but i do like the newer one so i mean yeah overall it's 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 good it does have a couple classics in there which not all of these horror franchises do like i would definitely not say that any of the leprechaun movies are a fucking classic <laughs> you know and none of those full moon ones chris <laughs> um but yeah it's i like it i you know it's it's texas chainsaw it's synonymous with the horror genre even if there's some that suck yeah. the ones that I mean, every franchise has some yeah. that suck but the ones that don't suck so don't suck mm-hmm. they do so the opposite of suck that you know, you just, it's Texas Chainsaw. You gotta love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I like the franchise. Oh, you know, I can't really say I love the franchise because, like you said, there's, I haven't seen them all for one thing, and then there are a handful that I think are really, it's really bad. Like, I remember when the, the, the new flick came out on Netflix, and there was all this backlash against it, and I was like, what is this in service to? This is not a great franchise like there are great movies in this franchise but there are some really bad movies in it too and it and the netflix one is not nearly as bad as some of the other flicks in the in this franchise in my opinion i'll get to the netflix one shortly but yeah the the first one classic it's not one i want to watch uh regularly (laughs) because it's just something that it's just such an unsettling movie i just it's just not a very entertaining movie it's a really good movie and a really well made it's a classic for a reason it's just not a movie i find very entertaining the sequel i know you love it i've only seen it a couple times and i don't dislike it i just i don't have a great affection for it so it's not one that i've watched over and over again i haven't seen the third movie i watched the matthew mcconaughey uh texas chainsaw next generation once and i think it's really bad um (laughs) There are a lot of fun things in the movie that make it fun to watch, but it's not a good movie, in my opinion. Yeah, no, uh, there's, there's definitely stuff about it that's interesting and is and is different than the other ones. It's it is not completely doing what all the other ones are, but no, I don't think it's it's good. 
I, I do know quite a few people that, that they love it because it is weird and different. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I can totally see that being a cult classic. I, yeah. I don't, you know, I, it's not something I want to own or watch over and over. I would watch it again. You know, I've seen it once. I would watch it again, but it's not something that I can put in my canon that I'm going to yeah. <laughs> revisit often. Um, I will say that McConaughey's going hard. Oh, yes, he is. Yeah, he's going hard in it. I give it up to him for that. Then I guess we've got, you know, this 2003 version, which I really like. Prequel, I don't like at all, really. <laughs> and so, yeah, then I guess the next one was t- uh, Chainsaw 3D, which is another one I can kind of sort of see in people liking it for camp reasons. It's really, really bad, though. I, I think it's awful, actually. <laughs> and other than Dario being a-, a smoke show, I have no reason to watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Again, I haven't seen the poor uh, Adam Marcus. I haven't seen the um, the prequel that came out a few years ago. Yeah. I have heard people talk about it in a way that make me curious enough that I would watch it if it were streaming for free. I wouldn't pay money to watch it because <laughs> I've heard that it's really bad and it didn't look good. I watched the trailer and I thought it looked really bad. But um, I am kind of curious because of some of the things I've heard about it that I think it might be at least interesting to watch. The Netflix version. I think it's good. It's a fun movie. It's really short. So you go, you're in and out. It's got some great kills, especially the bus scene. The biggest gripe I really have with that one is there's not a family. And that's something that is kind of a signature of the franchise. It seems like, you know, it's not just Leatherface. It's he's the. He's the the scary boogeyman of the franchise, but mm-hmm. there's also all these other characters that in in pretty much every movie you've also got to worry about that are are really scarier than he is in a way because he is kind of almost childlike and just kind of doing their bidding it seems like. Yeah. But, you know, the new the newest one doesn't have that really at all. Plus it, there's that whole weird thing where they brought Sally back just to kill her like immediately. It was, <laughs> I just didn't think that worked at all. <laughs> But it is a fun movie, and I definitely don't like it as much as as the the original remake. But it, it's something that I would I'll definitely watch again. It's it, it's a fun Texas Chainsaw flick. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's the best looking one cinematography wise since mm-hmm. the remake, since this two thousand three one. Yeah, I think the new one. There's some really cool shots in it, and I I really like that the shot that some people made fun of with Leatherface in the field of uh, sunflowers. Oh yeah, that's it's cool. such a yeah. weird image, you know. It's like someone came out. Wouldn't that be fucking weird and kind of cool? And they were like, "Yeah, it would be." And they did it, and it is weird and kind of cool. Yeah. I I'm of two minds about the Sally thing. I mean, I I don't know why they did it if they were going to do it the way they did. I don't think it it doesn't work in the movie unless you, which I think a lot of people do, have a lot of affection for Sally and would want her see her come back and do more than she did. Mm-hmm. But I would kind of like just like okay, so it's Sally, and then oh. She's there in a minute. Oh, okay. And then we don't see her for an hour. And then oh, there she Oh, she's dead. Okay. But I was, I just kind of rolled with it. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, it's fine. I think as far as the family goes in the remake, now this is just me talking out of my ass, uh, which, you know, <laughs> how is this any different than every other time you speak, AJ? It's not. I think it's possible they did it that way to just kind of streamline it a bit, kind of simplify it. Because mm-hmm. the movie is very, that you know, again, you said it's short. It kind of gets in there and it, it goes from A to Z or, you know, A to M anyway, because it only does so much pretty quickly, cleanly, efficiently. And more characters is going to bog that down. Now, that's just speaking in terms of making it easier for them filmmaking wise. But story wise, 
I think it works or can work if you accept it of the fact of this is a legacy sequel. This is supposed to be the same Leatherface from the first movie. Now in his 60s or whatever, or late 50s. We, we figured that out when we talked about it before. Like, yeah. well, didn't we do some math? <laughs> but anyway, the other people were so much older than him, they just might have died out, right? Right, yeah. And maybe they're not running with the idea of them stealing people, babies and young kids that they come across from their victims like they, uh, like they play at in this remake. It's just there's no one left anymore because they're the only ones left. You know what I mean? The family, there is no family anymore. Or they are the family. And then she dies, and that's why he fucking loses his shit, because that was (laughs) the last family he had left. Right. So maybe that's kind of the idea. Sure. But I do agree completely that that was all. I mean, the Saw is family. That was kind of (laughs) like their thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the whole thing. They put it on the fucking chainsaw. So, yeah, I get that. I get what you're saying, bro. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Well, I guess that's it for the uh, the franchise as a whole. So we can close the book on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're doing these throughout October. So Woo-hoo. I mentioned to you, maybe we could throw out some Halloween movie picks for folks. If anybody's listening to this. Um, and, you know, there's a, you know, obviously Halloween time, you know, a lot of people, you know, I watch horror all throughout the year, but I really load up, you know, in like September, October when the fall hits. Yeah. Uh, but there's also movies that are kind of Halloween movies that aren't necessarily horror movies like Ernest Scared Stupid or whatever. That's a movie I watched a lot when I was a kid. It's a super Halloween themed Beetlejuice, stuff like that. They aren't really horror movies. They're kind of like fun movies that you kind of watch around Halloween. So... I've got a list here. I thought we could throw out, we could each throw one out, and then next episode we'll throw another one out. By the end of the month, we'll have 10. Uh, I'll let you go first. What do you got for your first Halloween movie pick for 2022? Halloween movie that is not particularly horror, but has or, some I like. Mean, they can be horror. Oh, but. yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is one that I, I really want to recommend. Um, it's an Australian movie. Hmm. From just a few years ago. I wouldn't shut up about it on Twitter when it came out. Uh, it's called Boys in the Trees. Hmm. From 2016. I don't think it's on there anymore, sadly, but it used to be on a Netflix. That's where I saw it. An Australian movie from 2016. Kind of horror, kind of fantasy, kind of definitely drama. It's about two kids. It's set in the late 90s, I think, and it has a killer late 90s soundtrack mid late 90s soundtrack like grunge and the pop punk of that time and like Mm -hmm. it's yeah so it's kind of nostalgic and and it's a it's set on halloween halloween night 1997 so it's got all the trappings of halloween it's beautiful to look at there's a lot of really cool very fall halloweeny shots but it's about these two kids who used to be friends when they were very little they've grown up they're they're just getting out of high school or about to graduate and they had grown apart one of them kind of went with the cool kids and the other one's kind of a dork you know that whole thing but it's really moving and dare i say lyrical you know i know that sounds like pretentious shit but it's (laughs) it's very literate it feels like it's been written by someone who reads you know and i don't again i don't mean that in a pretentious way but it's it's pitched at a level of intelligence that expects you to to be able to hear that kind of thing and be kind of moved by it in kind of a a poetic kind of way or like a, a longing 
the the general sense of romantic, not the actual love sense of romantic, where it's like uh, it, it's romantic to your ears to hear it. So the, there's a lot of really good dialogue in it, and but it's also just a really good story, very well acted. It is kind of a fantasy, it is kind of horror, but mostly it's it's a story about these two kids kind of reconnecting, and it's very dramatic and very moving. It's a very beautiful movie. It really hit me very hard when I first saw it, like very personal like i related to some of it very hard and it's just it's very affecting and again the look of it is so it's very palpable it 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 looks you look at it you watch it you hear it you feel it and it feels like halloween it's just one of those the way that uh, like sleepy hollow for me feels like halloween Mm -hmm. but it's just a really good movie it's beautifully directed the 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 acting in it is really good specifically from the two main kids it's just a great great movie i again it used to be on netflix i don't think it is anymore i don't know how people would see it but if they could find a way to to rent it streaming if it's not streaming on some servers for free it would be worth three or four bucks you know yeah it's definitely worth that and i recommend it I, i can't recommend it highly enough if, if what I said sounds appealing to anybody listening, even remotely, if you go, oh, yeah, that might be good. <laughs> if you think it might be good, give it a shot because it's I I did not shut up about it for months and months and months to the point where the director finally followed me, I think, out of pity. <laughs> Nicholas Verso. But I would not shut up about it. And I kept recommending to people and every single person, every single person that I got to watch it was incredibly moved by it and said, what a powerful, beautiful movie. It, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. The, the closest thing I got to a negative was a person who it affected them almost too strongly. Yeah. It like destroyed them, like just copious tears. And I was like, oh, I didn't mean to to break you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, everyone, everyone that I got to watch it and I got at least a good eight, nine individuals to see it. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them was like, that's a great movie. So, yeah, that that's my pick. Yeah, I, I just checked on the uh, Just Watch app and it's not available to stream for free anywhere. You can rent it a few places. But, you know, I have actually seen this. I probably watched it on your recommendation. Mm. Um but I don't remember much about it. And so that's going to have to go back into the rotation this October. I'll have to give it another shot. I do remember. Do you remember if you it. liked it? Okay, good. good. That's what yeah, I was but I, I just don't remember. I only watched it the once. I don't remember any real details about it. So I'll have to just give that another second, shot. For a second, I was like, oh, shit. He doesn't remember it. I don't remember him saying <laughs> anything to me about it. Is he someone that wasn't really into it and then i just blocked that out of my memory because i want to remember everyone liking it 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 seems like there was that movie and super dark times Mm. and summer of 84 all kind of came at the same time and i watched them all and okay so yeah i i think i got super dark times and boys in the trees kind of they kind of melded together and because i watched them like around the same time yeah Uh, along with summer of 84 which i didn't really i know a lot of people love summer of 84 i didn't really like it that much but uh i was just gonna say firstly super dark times that's i understand why you would get them mixed up that's obviously more dark i mean it is mm-hmm. super dark times a little more fucked up but uh, yeah it is a good movie summer of 84 i love turbo kid man love turbo kid <laughs> yeah 84 is actually my favorite year for movies because of that summer mm-hmm I hear this title. I hear what the movie's about. 
I know it's from the people that made Turbo Kid. I'm like, this fucker can't miss. I didn't. <laughs> I I did not like it either. Yeah. And I was shocked. Actually, thinking about it, I'm not really shocked because obviously I just don't. I don't like the way they did what they did. It just doesn't work for yeah, me. Yeah. I mean, we'll throw up a spoiler warning because in case people haven't seen it, real quick. But the only way I can really discuss it is by talking about the ending, which <laughs> I hated <laughs> because the movie the tone shifted so hard at the end when his friend is killed. Yeah. It just got so dark and I just didn't, it did, it made me uncomfortable. I didn't like the ending at all. And up to that point, I was kind of liking it. I, I like, for, I would give it like, it would have been like a three star out of five. For the, you know what? You're up absolutely the end. right. Yeah. And then I, it, I just didn't think, I thought it was way off from the tone of the first two thirds of the movie. I just didn't like the ending at all. So I didn't really like the movie. I think, I'm pretty much in the exact same boat as you, dude. I think I was like, this is fine. You know, there was stuff about it I liked. I didn't hate it, but they just went so far off the reservation (laughs) at the end. It just went, and I don't mind having the rug pulled out from under me. I don't mind uh, a dark ending. I don't mind all those things in theory, but when it comes to practice, it really depends on how you go about it. And the way they went about it in this one, just it turned me off. Like you said, I was just like, you know what? No, I reject you. I reject your fucking <laughs> ending. I do, I'm not cool with it. I don't like it. Fuck you. And if you want to yeah. say, I don't know that that makes it a bad movie because clearly that's the story they wanted to tell. And they were trying mm-hmm. to hurt you. You know, they had to be. <laughs> they had to be trying to just give you a fucking gut punch to go out. Maybe they were like, remember how we felt at the end of the mist? <laughs> like, we should do that to the audience. Just fuck with them, man. Just fucking send them out just devastated. Let's do it. And, you know, hey, that's valid. Uh, that's a valid artistic choice. Go ahead. It did not work for me here the way it did at the end of the mist. I, no, 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 yeah, no, no, I, would, no, I reject it. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. I just no. didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't like it at all. But no, I and, and, and lots of people, lots of people mm-hmm. that I know and respect back their opinions on movies and generally agree with them on, on a lot of things. No, yeah. I don't agree with them on this one. <laughs> All right. Well, I got a Halloween movie pick that is pretty polar opposite from yours. And this is a movie that I caught a couple like 2017. I'm going to say on, on Amazon prime and I didn't really know anything about it, but I, the description sounded cool. So I checked it out. And as soon as I finished it, I was like, that's going to be I'm going to watch that on Halloween every year from now on. (laughs) And I have. And it's the WNUF Halloween special, which is sorry. I said, my man, (laughs) which I could see somebody saying that's not a real movie, but uh, it is. And it is 100 percent a real movie. And fuck those people. And if anybody anybody who hasn't seen it, it is a faux VHS tape from the mid 80s where it's it's filmed to look like. A somebody's home video where they recorded a Halloween special off television. It's got fake commercials. It's got a fake newscast before the the special they're recording takes place. And a lot of the appeal of the movie is the the fake commercials. It's it's supposed to give you that feeling of watching television in the mid '80s, and uh, it works really well with that. And um, I guess it's a comedy. There's a lot of funny stuff in it, but it's it's more just a novelty that that really sells it. And it's not one that I can recommend to everybody, even though I love it. I actually, for the first time, I introduced it to some people last Halloween, 
actually, I guess it was Halloween of 2020. I had three friends over and <laughs> put it on, and it went over like a fart in church. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> they none of them got it. They? they did. <laughs> they didn't think it was very funny. By the end, every time they cut to commercial, my one of my friends was like, "Again." <laughs> like they just weren't having it. So mm-hmm. I just kind of had to sit there and endure them not liking the movie, <laughs> but I love it. It's, it's just a really fun and it's, it's set on Halloween night where this newscaster is going to go into a haunted house and have some, a couple perform a seance. And clearly the house is based on the Amityville house and the couple is based on Ed and Lorraine Warren. So there's stuff like that. If you know some of the history of seventies and eighties paranormal stuff, you're going to kind of know what they're parodying a little better. But anyway, yeah, I know, I know you're a fan of it as well. I absolutely adore it. And I think you're, when you mentioned the novelty, it weaponizes nostalgia in the best way. I oh, yeah. Because, and sorry to do this, but this is how my brain works. Um, <laughs> in Pulp Fiction, there's the, the restaurant called Jack Rabbit Slims, where it's set back in the 50s. And it's got all the icons from James Dean to Marilyn Monroe, Elvis Presley. They're all walking around. And the, the tagline of the restaurant, which you can see on the sign if you're a dork like I am, it says Jack Rabbit Slims. And then underneath it in quotes, the next best thing to a time machine. And it's like, okay. But WNUF, motherfuckers, because it really is, it it 100% perfectly replicate, or comes as close as one can, I think, to perfectly replicating the feeling of something I actually did, which was come home on Halloween night with my bag full of fucking Halloween candy, <laughs> throw it out on the living room floor, splay myself out right in front of the TV set and just watch TV and candy. And it feels like I what I would have been watching in 1987. You know, to a degree, obviously, the stuff in the house is a bit more broad, yeah. and that is funny. Um, but the commercials, like you said, it's insane. And and I know that some people, like you said, your friend, dread them. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas those of us who that completely telescopes you back to that time, every time the commercials pop up, you're like, oh, more of these. This yeah. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I... I love it. It just came out on Blu-ray not long ago. The Vinegar Syndrome yeah. uh, release of it. Of course, I had to get that shit. Mm-hmm. I watch it every year on Halloween now. Yeah, yeah same so here. I, uh, the first time I watched it, it was early October. And then again on Halloween night, I watched it again. And, and that's been my tradition ever since is, is to watch it either on Halloween Eve or Halloween. I think that's a fine tradition, sir. It didn't used to be on mine, even after I first saw it. I think it was on Prime. Uh, it jumped back and forth between Prime and Shutter. Yeah, for a while there, um, and I watched it on both. But I had seen it a couple times, and at least two Halloweens passed before I was like, because I have a certain, I have three movies, or I had three movies that I had to watch on Halloween every year. I will not necessarily name those because I might pull those out of my ass sure. when we are uh, doing them later on. But over the last three years, I want to say uh, I've done it for the last three years straight. And I'm like, well, now I have four I have to watch. So, yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I love it. All right. Well, I guess before we get out of here, you want to let people know where they can find you on the Internet. They can find me mainly on Twitter at Haunted Gels. And as per usual, I just what I do there is much the same as I do here. When if you listen to me here, um, except maybe I bitch more about the state of our currently on fire world Mm. and. I try not to be too angry, but mostly it's um, a lot of movie, a lot of music, a lot of TV. That's what I do. 
Awesome. Same for me. I'm at BrodyMan34 on Twitter and Instagram. You can also follow our other podcast, Small Screeners. There's an Instagram and, and Twitter for that show as well, at Small Screeners. And you can find us on your podcatcher of choice at Small Screeners. So we'll be back in a week with a discussion on the original Halloween classic from John Carpenter. And of course, AJ's favorite Halloween Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007. I'm sorry. It's number one with a bullet, baby. (laughs) We'll see you in a week. See you guys.